0: This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds' walk from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Patodre for free on match days, Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round. Come and join them in Aberdeen's biggest and best beer garden. And even better, head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod. For a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Come on you Reds! foot there. It is Madison. it's tuesday and you know what that means welcome to episode 59 of the abz football podcast i'm gary scott joining me this week as always it's gavin j baxter and a welcome return to graham steel gents how's it going well thank you
1: i'm good man we've wondered often what it's like to record like a celtic podcast where all you have to chat about is you know five no win some good goals See you next week. But then I didn't realize that this week, you know, Dundee United would come along and throw that patter right out of there. What a performance from them! Beautiful stuff. I noticed that Charlie Mulgrew was MIA.
0: Yes, yes. The uh, Celtic
1: cramps kicking in for him as well,
0: as was Tony Watt. I think it might not be so much the Celtic cramps, but more the Jack Ross blues. I imagine, and um, that's booze, as in boo, not Boo Irans. It's not ruse, not <laughs> <but> ruse. <laughs> But hey, that's right. In a week that saw, and who'd have thunk it, a mass scarf twirly at Tyne Castle failed to intimidate FZ Zurich. God knows what the Turkish boys are going to make of that one, but we'll wait and see. That saw Lee Johnson admit that his side are, and I quote, absolutely brutal. And that saw Jack Ross's Dungeon United remain hashtag United in pursuit of the rest of the league after their 9-0 hammering by Celtic at Tanadice. Speaking of which, boys... What did Jack Ross say to the German tourist who asked him, since he ain't good manager, Jack?
2: You can have that one, Gav.
1: <laughs> I'm not even dignifying this. Gary can finish
0: off his own joke. The answer, of course, was nine. <laughs> That's right. It's a jam-packed week on the ABZFP as we take a look back at our 5 nil win over Livingston in the SPFL Premiership on Saturday we take a look back at all the news from AB24 this week along with our regular loan watch and review of the women's team as they travelled to face Glasgow City on Sunday we preview Tuesday evening's trip to Annan in the Premier Sports Cup with Colin from the Lincolnshire Gallabankies and we preview next Saturday's visit to Dingwall on League Duty Graham, looking forward to that one It's going to be a long day uh, It's going to be a long day, I, um, I have the fear already, I'm not going to lie and after the break, it's the latest in our long line of interviews with Don's personalities of past and present this time. Part one of our conversation with the man who came through the Don's youth ranks, making his first team debut in February 2000, before rejoining the club in 2011, eventually making a total of 278 appearances in red, scoring 12 goals. It's Chris Clark. But first, Aberdeen 5, Livingston 0. SPFL Premiership, Pataldo Stadium, Saturday the 27th of August 2022. Jim Goodwin naming the same starting 11 that sought out the win in Perth last time out. The only change coming on the bench with the inclusion of Matty Kennedy in place of Christian Ramirez, the American Flake, number 99, obviously, uh, falling out of the squad altogether. More on that one later. Gavin's shaking his head at that, but come on, Gav, on fire tonight. No changes from the visitors, starting with the same side that lost at Fir Park last time. Out the Dons, starting the game brightly, um, forcing an early corner, and then a little bit of Ramadani also having an effort at go in the first four minutes from 30 yards out. Let's be polite about it. It was pretty wild, the ball drifting harmlessly wide of the goal. After a decent start, though, it was the visitors who began to take control of the game. Across from Graham's favourite, Jason Hope, to finding Noobly. Who headed over from about eight yards? The Dons responded with a coulson cross, which Bijouin dove ahead, but the ball sailed wide. The diminutive Dutchman may have been better off leaving it for Jaden Richardson and coming in behind. Nubly with another chance of 16 minutes, but he pulled his shot across goal, and the visitors began to grow in confidence as the Dons' backline began to look just a little bit shaky. Hayes with a mazy run on 19 minutes that ended with his effort on his right foot being scooped high over the bar. A drinks break. Who else was confused by this yesterday?
1: I I have definitely watched games at Petaudry in much hotter temperatures (laughs) that have not had drinks breaks.
0: But the drinks break on Twitter minutes didn't really help Aberdeen to reassert any sort of control. Livingston coming close to finding an opener as Holt's free kick was met by Obelai inside the box and his header from no more than five yards out was stopped. Brilliantly by Kel Roos, who got down low to his left to claw at the ball away. The Dons then did begin to get back into the game. Miofsky doing well to win the ball back before passing to Hayes. His cross finding Clarkson, but his header back across goal didn't threaten the livy keeper. Before, the unbookable Jason Holt found his way into the referee's little black book after a, a pretty bad foul actually on Coulson on the near side before the Dons Finally made the breakthrough on 41 minutes. Fitzwater caught on the ball by Bajewin after a short goal kick was played to him, and in all sorts of bother, Fitzwater took down Bajewin. The referee with no option but to point to the spot and to send the Livy central defender packing. Despite a delay in taking the penalty after some shenanigans by George in the Livy goal, Boyan Miowski stepped up and calmly smashed the penalty straight down the centre, and the Dons were up and running. Richardson should have doubled the lead a couple of minutes later. Bajewin's cross from the left flank. Fank left flank was a beauty, but Richardson arriving at the back post couldn't get his angles right and his effort went back across goal and out for a goal kick, but halftime 1-0 to the hosts and the Dons start the second half like a side determined to put this one to bed. Bajoun latching onto a lofted through ball by Ramadani. His cross met by a fly, Miofsky, but he couldn't keep his header down before Stuart headed over from a K's cross as the Dons began to turn the screw. Miofsky thought he had his second latching onto a fine ball through by Clarkson and finishing through the legs of the goalkeeper. But his initial run was marginally early and the main stand linesman flagged for offside. Clarkson who was limping a touch after a fairly robust challenge earlier in the half was withdrawn on fifty six minutes, replaced by Duke as the Don switched into a, I what to say it was like a four four two slash four one three two formation. Um, that's what it looked like to me in the main stand and in, in the posh seats.
1: Yeah. Felt to me like that was almost went too up front, certainly.
0: Definitely two up top, and soon after, we were two goals to the good, fine build-up play between Ramadani, Richardson and Hayes. Eventually saw a poor clean by Livy defender fall to Ross McCrory on the edge of the box, and he took one touch before smashing an unstoppable left-foot effort off the bar and in. The Dons were on easy street just two minutes later, Duke with an outstanding burst of pace to take him away from Kanchar, and after a lovely little chop back, The defender's momentum in a sliding tackle took Dug's legs out from underneath him and the Dons had their second penalty of the game. After some time, Mioski handed the ball to Vicente Pajewin, who sent his effort beautifully into the side netting for his first goal of the league campaign. The Patodri faithful had only just returned to their seats, though, when it was four. A fine header by Stewart to win the ball in the centre of the park, ahead of uh, Joel Newbley, who I must admit I thought Anthony Stewart handled pretty well on the whole yesterday. That header, finally Johnny Hayes. His threaded through ball was perfect for Miofsky to latch on to and he finished coolly into the right-hand side of the net. Livy made four changes shortly after this, after a solutions meeting had been convened on the near side by David Parkdale and his assistants. Holt, Shinny, Montano and Noobly replaced by Longridge, Brandon Goncalves and Penrith before the Dons followed suit with a double switch of their own. Morrison, Kennedy coming on for Hayes and Bajauin. Coulson had to receive some treatment after a late challenge on 77 minutes before he was withdrawn alongside Miofsky for Jack McKenzie and Ryan Duncan. Anthony Stewart should have got his first goal for the club on 81 minutes, a corner kick from Kennedy, found its way to the big man at the back stick, but his header was more akin to a clearance as it flew past the post. The Dons did get the fifth goal that their second half performance deserved, a whipped cross ball from Ryan Duncan, evading everyone sneaking in at the far post. The first of one will presume... Many for the Dons Academy graduate. And that was that. The Dons' largest ever win against Livingston. And with results falling the way they did over the course of the weekend, the Dons move up to fourth in the table. Let's look at the data really quickly. Hashtag possession 58%, 42% in favour of the home side. Shots 20 for the home side, 7 for the visitors. Six on target for Aberdeen, three for Livingston, and expected goals of 4.14 for the Dons, not 0.53 for the visitors. Gents, your thoughts on on that one? Uh, What turned out to be a comprehensive victory after what was an initially ropey first 30?
2: Just really, really good to get... I actually needed three points. We were, you know, pretty annoyed at dropping points against Motherwell, so... Three points at home, I know we'll maybe go into a little bit more detail about what the red card probably ultimately did for the way the game went, but kind of doesn't really matter it happened, Uh, and sometimes playing against 10 isn't necessarily the cakewalk you'd think it would be, so to still put a few goals past them shows that we had the right attitude in terms of going out to try and get the game wrapped up, if you like. Um, It's also just quite encouraging from that sort of creative point of view that, albeit with the man down, you can still go and sort of take the game to teams. Maybe we were crying out for something like that last season. So overall, three points is three points, much needed. And you look at that that table, I know it's really, really early, but just already it looks a little bit tidier. There's only a point behind Hearts, Hibs, Dundee, United, who you you might have expected to be competing with, and may well yet be, i have dropped off a little bit. So already got a better breathing room with who you might be expecting Competition for Europe, and you're you're right back up there with heart So space of a week, things look a little bit better, uh, a little bit better than they did this time last week.
1: Yeah, I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, five 0 win at home, those don't come around every week. Uh, particularly when you're an Aberdeen fan, um, I think the last time we scored five or more would have been against Dundee, uh, twenty eighteen, I want to say. Perhaps even the might even have been the Considine hat trick game, perhaps. The last time we scored what five, since so we scored five or more,
2: the fact that none of us can instantly remember it backs up your point that they don't come around too often.
1: Yeah, it seems that seems that almost seems too recent for it to be that game, uh, now that I think about it. But yeah, like as I say, these, uh, these are games to be savored. Yeah, by all counts, we weren't great in the first 30 minutes, especially, and the red card does make a huge difference to the game. But I've said it at the time, um, teams. Ten or eleven men. Um, not many teams put five past Livingston uh, since they've come back up into the league. Some very, very exciting attacking play from us, especially when we get that man advantage and a real sign of the the sort of strength of the squad. You know, we're able to make those proactive changes very early in the second half, bring something else on, stretch the game with Duke's pace. And personally, loved seeing Ryan Duncan get on the, on the on the field. I've been wanting to see more of him since the Premier Sports uh, group stages. I think he's got a really exciting future with Aberdeen and to see him involved. Yeah, it was very pleasing. And also, Gary, you're the data man. When was the last time we kept two clean sheets in a row?
0: Uh, um, I couldn't tell you right off the top of my head. I'll go look at yeah. it in a second. <clears throat> go back to the point you made a minute ago. When was the last time we scored five or more? It was Park Thistle away Uh the back end of the 2016-2017 season. I think that was that the day that I certain somebody scored a hat-trick.
2: You can bleep his name out, yeah, but someone got a hat-trick.
0: Yeah, so I think that was the last day we hit uh, five or more in the league, so so there we go, that's that one out of the way. Yeah, I mean, I'll go and have a look to see when the last time I had consecutive clean seats in the league would have been. Um, I might be digging back a bit in the archives for that one, I think. Yeah, encouraging win, but is this again one of these that has to kind of be put in context a little bit because the red card does change things a lot. The first 30 minutes was were not were not great. I, I, I must admit, I, I did feel that we were starting to come into the game on the 30-minute mark. And there's a big argument saying, oh, Gav, you made the tweet yesterday about the fact that regardless of whether there's 10 men, not many teams will put four or five past the Livingston side, whether they've got 10 or 11 players on the park, because they do know what they're doing. They're very street-wise. But at the same time, do we need to you know try not to get too... The second half performance was good, but you have to put in context it's against 10 men. We can't get too excited about it. And do we need to be a little bit concerned about the fact that the opening 30 was not great? Again, we seem to be starting games very, very slowly at the moment.
1: Very slow. Um, a lot of slack passing, particularly from the um, the defence. I found. Um, I think this is maybe why I would not be inclined to include Anthony Stewart in any kind of discussion for man of the match because I thought his distribution, especially, was pretty wayward. Um, yeah, we're with the exception of the game against Sterling Alb, but we've generally speaking not really started games well. Um, I don't know why that would be as such. We're, we seem to be set up that we'd be able to take the gamer teams straight away whether there's some nervousness or you know still players trying to figure out th- figure out exactly what they're doing i'm not sure um yeah of course you're right but um, at the same time i'm going to sit here and say that i've just watched my team win 5-0 and we're going to win the league
2: i think the points around how we've started are are fair and well yeah i think we were struggling to really get going when it was 11 v 11. But then, so bits and pieces like, I like the fact that, it was, I thought it was good from Bajauan. I like this sort of pressing and hassling that he does. He's maybe not, I know he's had a couple of good shots from open play that maybe haven't gone in. He's maybe not scoring as many as I would like him to, but I like what he brings to the team. And that was a good example of, you know don't let teams, most people, if you're pressured, we'll make mistakes. It was a classic example. The goalkeeper rolling it out to the guy who wasn't ready. Bajauin's already on top of him. And yeah, he could have handled it a little bit better, but he obviously panicked, tried to be clever, and we get something out of it. So, from that point of view, even just that feels a little bit more exciting that we're a little more offensive and pressing. We were so passive last season that we would have just been letting them pass it around. So, you know, you're not going to get guys making mistakes like that every week, but it was encouraging to see Bajauin put the guy under pressure, and then from there, we did go and make the most of the advantage. I think it's, there's no point in getting carried away at this point, but on the other hand, it builds up maybe just a bit of confidence in the, the dressing room. Like They'll know it's obviously 11, but still, it's five five goals. Fans are happy. Just tries to keep that sort of head of steam that we're building up going. And yeah, there'll be tests along the way, but maybe you can overcome them because you've got this confidence there and, and the guys are starting to get a little bit more comfortable with each other. So I will, I'll take your point around. Maybe it wasn't the most exciting when it was eleven v eleven, but I'll take the five 0 no scudding and uh, we move on. Hopefully, dish out another one on Saturday. Obviously, yeah. The the red card is a, a critical game changing moment.
1: But before that, and yes, this is coming back to the point about we need to. If you're going to be hyper critical, it's the same as Sitmiren because we can easily have been punished. And suddenly the game is very, very different. There's a moment where Joel Nuble picks up the ball on our right side. of The defense kind of gets between Richardson and Stewart. And if he was a little bit more composed, you probably could have at the very least hit the target. And if it's one no Livingston, complexion of the game changes completely. It's, you know, ideal for them. So whatever it is that's leading us to not start games in the way we want to. Yeah, it's something that needs to certainly be addressed.
0: We'll come on as well to because because Kelrus makes a really, really good save as well. 1 0 from the header. We'll come back on to Kelrus in a minute because I think that changes the game potentially. In answer to your question, Gav, about when was the last time we recorded two successive clean sheets in the league? Um, you have to go all the way back to January 2021. It's the back end of the Derek McInnes know, um, A pair of 0 0 draws on a Wednesday night at St Johnston and then a Saturday afternoon at Livingston. 2 0 0 draws. Uh, that's the last time we kept a couple of clean sheets in succession in the league. Um, so that, that tells you everything you need to throw about how we've been since since that sort of period of time. So that in itself is going to be a massive confidence booster, one would imagine, to the squad. The fact we have got a couple of clean sheets in the league now under our belts. Um somebody messaged us on Twitter yesterday who um was kind of saying that they didn't want to be that guy, but they were going to point out that they were, you know, maybe should we be should we be concerned about the fact that we'd only we hadn't scored any goals from open play in the league this season against 11 men, Um, now we very quickly checked that and reminded said individual that um, we'd actually scored two goals from open play against Motherwell Um, but does the point still stand though potentially that we have only scored two goals from open play so far against 11 men this season or is it just almost a bit of an anomaly in the stats given that out of those five games that we're talking about, one of them was away at Celtic so you're not probably expecting to score too many goals at Celtic Park with the Johnny Hayes chance um, exempted if if you put that game to the side, we face 10 men for the majority of half the games that are left on the books. So it's kind of hard to make a call at the moment about whether or not we are struggling to break down teams who've got 11 men on the park.
1: It's, it's an interesting um, statistic, certainly. But I mean, I'd be more concerned if against St. Johnston, for example, we weren't creating chances. Yeah, but we did. Uh, we could have easily scored two, three, maybe even four more goals against um, St. Johnston if... Some players had their shooting boots on. And I mean, yeah, I mean, sure, I get, I guess at home that's that's been a feature, but at the same time, it's not really our fault that Declan Gallagher and Jack Fitzwater decided to sell the shirt in both games. So I think we'll, um, I, think I need a bit more sample data versus legitimately playing 11 men before I kind of comment on that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That being said, if Frost County want to take it down to nine so we can get 10 or something like that, and surpass Celtic, I'd be up for that.
1: Unfortunately they're guaranteed red cards think they'll still be suspended in that
3: game. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um I can't have been the only person that was really willing on like, I hate to see like the old firm like smashing anybody really just because of the disparate thing. I thought it was kind of funny because it was United. But I can't have been the only person who was really hoping they went to ten, just that our Mark McGee nine at Parkhead was just shuffled down the record books that a little bit further. The Mark McGee
1: thing, we were down to ten men before they scored a goal. It was at Celtic
0: Park. There's penalties it's... as well. They Score penalties, don't they? That day,
1: United today is worse by a it, it is
0: worse because I mean, United stayed to 11 men the whole way through, they don't concede any penalties. I think we had at least still score at least one penalty against us that day at Parkhead. I think we're down to 10 early doors. It's at it's we it's also had like Mark Sunday. McGee. This is true. we had Mark McGee, but it was only three points. Yeah. Uh, it was a way there's there's definitely something a little bit more humbling about a uh, um 9 0 smashing at home, presumably. Gerald Eiffel <laughs> was playing, so we were playing with nine. I don't want to digress too much and turn this into like the, the Dode Fox Dode Fox? The Dode Fox podcast and talk about United too much but um, they only had one booking today United and it was Stephen Fletcher after two minutes arguably could have been sent off yeah but you're getting smashed 9-0 at home and none of your players are willing to put an a tackle on the opposition team it's just I'd, I'd, I'd be very very worried if I was a United fan right but now I must admit um, they, they look in very bad shape which it's a shame. That is an understatement to say the very least. Let's let's move on. Though after that initial thirty minutes at Petardia on Saturday, I thought we were much much better. Um, like we say, helped by the descending off, but our second half performance in particular was was really impressive. I thought how many times you see a, a team going in at halftime, they're one all up against ten men, and they decide right, well maybe just try and lock this game down a little bit. We were just very intent clearly from from the start of the second half that we're going to go out there and try and get as many goals as we possibly could and what I really liked about our setup yesterday again guys you'll have a look at this on on the screen was again on our shape because our our average position map something we've been banging on a lot about in the last kind of couple of weeks really shows what we did well yesterday keeping a lot of width on the park you can see just how high at the park Hayden Coulson and uh Jaden Richardson's average positions are but we look a lot more balanced there compared to what we look like against Muddle for example a couple of weeks ago you can you can tell looking at that there what formation we're playing with the exception of Johnny Hayes who's decided to take on a roving fucking all over the park role but I believe the term is Tricartista <laughs> there we go, thank you Gavin but yeah you could see what we were doing yesterday I thought that our discipline and our shape and the way that we moved Lemmiston around was 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 perfect for, for especially when they went down 10 men
1: yeah, I've never been so happy to look at a screenshot before. Um, <laughs> really tells that a story of a team that exactly, as you say, they know their roles. And, you know, you see Ramadani's staying close to to scales and Stuart when... Stuart in particular. Yeah, especially Stuart when Richardson and Colson are making their runs forward. Colson,
0: by the way, I just want to say I thought he was really good yesterday. I thought Coulson had a great game again yesterday. Yep, thought he was very impressive.
1: I'm very much hoping, there's not been any chats, so I'm hoping he was just taken off as a pure precaution.
0: It looked that way. It looks very good.
1: He didn't have the kind of despondency he had when he went off against Motherwell. So uh, uh,
0: From the main stand, because again, I was in the posh seats yesterday, um, you could see Goodwin asking the physio, is it a sub? And the sub actually was like, no, no, he can continue, but they made the sub anyway. Mm-hmm. So it was clearly just that, now we're just going to take him off, get him out of the final line just in case. Um, so I, I presume that definitely absolutely was just a, a precautionary change. But yeah, I thought he had a good game yesterday, Colton, I really did. But
1: yeah, um, that's showing yeah, the shape, the the system is there. It's going to be, I think that'll be an effective system with those personnel especially. Um, Leighton Clarkson, maybe the, I think the game passed him by a little bit. But what I love when it comes back to the idea of the intent to go out and make a statement at the second half was that early substitution of getting Duke on for uh Leighton Clarkson, not a like for like switch, you know, changing things up, change it was a very proactive sub that we in the rare moments were praising Stephen Glass for last year. Um and maybe we've not seen it so much from Jim Goodwin so far. But yeah, that was really exciting. I l- I loved his post match interview where he was talking about the intention was always to go out and mm-hmm. press home our advantage. And you know, it's gonna be I've got a funny feeling this league is gonna be very, very tight come the end of the year. And so to it, impact a 10-goal swing on Livingston. I think we'll be rivals of ours. It's, uh, it's a really good way to uh, set ourselves up for the rest of the year.
0: Looking on it, I mean, the interesting part, Miofsky gave the penalty, the second penalty, to Bajewin. Um I, I missed this completely at the time. I was too busy uh, trying to get my son into a position where we could actually see what was going on. I missed the ball being handed to um, Bajewin. We were just focusing on the fact that it was going to be a goal, hopefully. So, interesting dynamics this one jim goodwin's come out i think to say that he was not overly happy about this um afterwards he his view is that miovski's the designated penalty taker and therefore he should remain so he's not happy for the, the penalties to be handed out but it shows uh for me if nothing else it shows a real togetherness in the squad a real good kind of team spirit a team gelling together it's a team who have been thrown together as well let's not forget this it's, it's a bunch of guys who've you know, who, with the exception of Ramadani and miovsky don't know each other from, you know, deck. It's it's encouraging, I think, that this idea that Miofsky was actually willing to say, you know what, here you go, man, get yourself off the mark and um, I'll get another goal sometime later in the game anyway, so it's fine.
2: Yeah, I think my attitude might have been a little different and he probably wouldn't have done it, to be honest, but say you're not 2-0 up against 10, I'd have probably been furious if he'd handed it off, especially if... Uh, Bajawan had missed, but I agree with you. That was my thought. That actually, this is because it's quite rare for a striker to do that. And I took the view that he's probably going to take a bit of heat from the manager, and rightfully so, maybe. But yeah, it's a guy that uh, obviously recognises what Bajawan's been doing for the team hasn't quite got it right in front of goal. So here was a chance for what should have been an easy finish, as it turned out to be, just to get him up and running and maybe boost his confidence. So I thought that was quite quite a good team move and you can see that now because he because he put it away obviously if he'd botched it and <clears> I don't know you know Livy get one back and it gets a bit more nervy than it should have been I wouldn't have had this point of view but I thought I thought that was quite a good insight into how that dressing rooms um starting to to come together actually
1: yeah my perspective of it from the red shirt was very much when I saw Miofsky kind of signal to um, Bajau to come over and take the ball. First thing, first, it reminded me of Carlos Puyol signaling Eric Abadal to come and lift the European Cup and Alex Song sticking out his <laughs> hand and being like, oh. <laughs> and then um, I think it was kind of like, oh, that's really, that's quite nice that he's, you know, handing off the, the ball to a teammate who's, to be fair, I mean, we've been a little bit critical of him. He's not really gotten off to the greatest start in the league so far. And maybe Vinny's a confidence player and getting that goal will make a real difference for him. You can see the togetherness in the celebrations of each of the goals right now. And, you know, obviously, you know, Mioffi scores the first penalty, like Bajowin's all like, check this guy, check this guy. And then gives the uh, gives the ball away for the penalty and Bajowin sticks that away. And again, he's like, yeah, look at this guy. Ramadani is like, you know, playing as if he's been an Aberdonian, like his entire life. <laughs> I know, I love The it. passion of that guy is unbelievable not to go all Tim Sherwood, but to see what playing for Aberdeen means to him, it's it's incredible. Um much much like Graham Thwell, was after the moment of like the ball being handed off and Vinny puts the ball on the spot, there is that moment of like if he sticks this high and wide, yeah. Boyan's gonna look like a right dick. And he was rightfully probably gonna get like strips torn off him by the manager. Um my kind of perspective is that yeah the the designated penalty, penalty taker should be the one that takes the the spot kicks um but yeah it does tell that the it does tell that in Boyan Miofsky's mind the team is the most important thing and I think for maybe the last year or so we've questioned what playing for Aberdeen has meant to some of our players um and what the whether they play for themselves where they play for the team obviously Miofsky is there has kind of denied himself a chance of getting his first hat-trick for Aberdeen and getting another goal. So for him to do that, yeah, it speaks to a real selflessness from him that, uh, yeah, I think is going to bode us very well, but in future, I would probably prefer if Miofsky kept taking penalties himself.
2: Yeah, I, no harm done. So it's a good gesture all around. I'd be surprised if we see it again, unless we are in a situation where we're absolutely home and hosed. And, you know, it's totally irrelevant if the ball wasn't the back of the net or not. I'd be surprised if, a, Mijofsky has the the balls to go against Goodwin again. And if Buzewin even wants to take it, knowing that he'll get the Goodwin treatment as well. So probably won't happen again. It's good to see no harm done, but I'm with you, Gav, that you pick a penalty taker for a reason because they're your best penalty taker. So you're going to want him standing over it more often. Albeit, it was a decent penalty from Buzewin. He's obviously decided is his main man, so I would rather be seeing him stepping up in future. So... But yeah, it's a little bit more encouraging. I think we felt, we said, or certainly maybe the first half of last season we were convinced we had decent players. Turns out didn't we didn't have a team as such a we believe a collection of individuals. Some of them were quite good, but never really got going together as a team. This looks a little bit different. I think we've got some quality in there, but more importantly, early signs that they're all pulling in the same direction? And that's definitely what you're going to need because there will inevitably be a period where it's a little tough. That always happens through the course of a season, but if you've got a bunch of guys who are working for each other hopefully that starts uh you know that that becomes important when you're maybe in the trenches a little and you you need your teammates to be digging out, out of a hole yeah i don't um
1: i think the positive to take here is that yeah there's appears to be a real real team spirit that we've not seen at aberdeen for a number of years now but yeah i don't want to see scenes like a la remember when chelsea won the league the first time and it was like the last game against charlton and they gave they got a penalty and Claude McAlealy was given it. Mm-hmm. And he absolutely botched it. Like, I don't want to see on the last day of the season when we're playing, you know, the hearts at home and the league's already wrapped up. I don't want to see, like, Anthony Stewart being given a penalty, preferably. Anthony Stuart is not going to score a goal for us. You think so? He should have scored against, on Saturday, at least two headers. Something like, like a natural, like, you know, thing. is just to head the ball away from the goal.
2: He'll score next Saturday, but Gary will be too busy blowing chunks in the toilet that he'll never see it.
0: Fair point, fair point. Let's move off of that. Uh, let's look at Boja in general. Graham, you're not meant to be here taking the rip. You're you you're meant to be here to keep us on the straight and narrow. You heard the fucking nonsense that happened last week when you weren't here. Um, Gav was just fucking firing bullets out of the chamber. Like Honestly, no mercy from this lad. No mercy.
2: Well, sometimes I like to let you, you two just have at it and then I'll step can... in and control proceedings. I
1: felt that someone needed to stick up for Graeme's... Uh... The abusive human grain for the phonics thing when uh, we know yeah. some of the some <laughs> of the things you'd prefer to keep secret. We uh, we'll... Oh yeah, yeah, I know where the skeletons are. And there are definitely more bullets in the chamber.
0: Well, let's just keep them there, shall we? Um <laughs> let's look at Boyamyowski generally on his performance yesterday. I mean, first one, another well taken penalty kick. Um, especially given the fact that the goalkeepers right, try to play silly buggers. I don't think I've seen anything quite as outrageous from a Livingston. Player attempted to lay apparently since Derek Adams. Um, yeah, you, you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> try, try, to dig up the penalty spot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a very angry man is is Del. Um Miowski. Then had a really good finish that was classes offside, which actually came through a really nice through ball from from Leighton Clark's, and we're going to come into to Clark's in a minute. And then his second goal, Miowski's, is is a fantastic finish again. Times has run brilliantly. Again, I don't want to get too excited, and I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but. Um, the early signs are that our our scouting system needs a hell of a lot of credit here for this one because he looks like a bit of a gem and I, I am starting to get the feeling that we might need to really appreciate the time we have with Boja because he might not be here for all that long. I feel we keep saying that about a number of our players right now which is
1: yeah, a nice change from how long has he got left on his deal? Ah, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> um... <laughs> But one thing I will say before we talk about Boyamiovsky's second is the through ball from Johnny De Bruyne is wow, absolutely sensational. Unil Johnny Hayes was great again on um on Saturday. Just love the guy. Love the guy a bit. Uh Boyan, yeah, he looks he looks special. And there's no other way of putting it. And he's still in the manager's words, he's still not even at full speed yet. So what he's gonna bring, because he's he's getting into good opportunities, he could have scored a couple more goals. You know, there's the header. That's a difficult one. I think it's a, a very yeah. fast ball um, across from Vinny Bajewan almost taking a page out of the Austin Sandals crossing playbook. Um, if he's maybe a little bit less um, selfless, he could have got a shot away and goal instead of passing to, to Johnny Hayes. Yeah, him. he looks all round just a very, very good player. And yeah, like you say, the, the people that found him and they found Ramadani, they... Deserve a enormous pat on the back because this is a big, big jump in quality from what we've had before. Um, I did see some people talking about. Obviously, Ramirez was omitted from the squad completely, and there are some I think there are still out there who think that Ramirez would do well in this team in the number nine role. And the reason he's not playing is because Boya is quite simply a much,
2: much better footballer. Miowski is better. I absolutely agree with you on that. I, I do think, I do think Ramirez could chip in with a few goals in that. Team is a much better, oh, it's early days, but it's a more exciting, more creative team than he had to endure last season. And he did chip in with a decent number of goals considering how poor we were. So I, I do think we could get more out of him in that team. Um, But yeah, based on how things are going so far, I don't see him being a regular starter unless there's suspensions or injuries for Miofsky, for example. Um, I'm very much enjoying watching Miofsky and, yeah, how long he's around for. Well, time will tell, but not really focused on that too much. I'm just enjoying watching an Aberdeen forward with... He's just got something... He's got a bit of everything about him, which I quite like. I mean, Ramirez did chip in with a few goals, but maybe a little one-dimensional, which isn't really... a. I'm not trying to criticise him here, it's more just the comparison that I feel like Miofsky is going to score all types of goals and some he's going to make himself, some obviously, you know, he's got Hayes, he's got Clarkson playing in good good through balls, he's got good players giving him um, some good support. But I feel like he's going to do a lot more on his own than maybe Ramirez was capable of and sometimes you need that. You know, it's like you're watching the game and we're just not really in it. But now I feel like there's him or even like Duke where he comes off the bench, there's a couple of guys in there that you think, we're not in this game, but I actually think there's a couple of guys in the pitch now that can create something. So you've always got that sort of hope where sometimes you're watching the game you think we're, we're never, ever getting anything out of this unless the opposition do something stupid. So maybe we are just enjoying him while we've got him, but let's just focus on what he's like at the moment.
1: And hey, he's signed up here for four years, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, let's... Uh... Let's enjoy the one, maybe two years, and then when we sell him for £20 million, we'll bring in Miofsky Jr.
0: Well, this is the thing I was going to say. is It's all about, hopefully, the fact that we have, hopefully, a succession plan in place and we are already starting to look for who his replacement would potentially be. It feels daft to be talking that way already just now, but um, I guess you, this is the reality of it is that we kind of have to be thinking that way, potentially, if you bring in guys who come <clears throat> in, hit the ground running, and demonstrate that they can do a, a good job in this league straight off the bat if the
1: if the model is in fact to bring in players from markets that other clubs perhaps are not so familiar with um put them in the window and then flip them for profit then yeah that's constantly that filling that revolving door yeah it's got to be the constant uh the project of our scouting team uh so yeah yeah absolutely
0: and the thing as well is i mean we, we, you just touched on Ramirez. i was going to leave it till later on but let's do it right now because i think probably- i was just going
1: to say i mean graham said that miofsky's maybe in- Ramirez might play if Miofsky's suspended the way it's looking right now Miofsky has to be suspended Duke has to be injured David Bates has to be on holiday Joe Lewis suspended like yeah I mean I think one of us has got a better chance of playing with Rabideen right now than Christian Ramirez he's,
2: yeah he's he's maybe not too far up the the pecking order um, but again not a reflection on him actually not trying to try to him, but I think that that's good so far because that means the recruitment is working I mean, we've been justifiably critical of it or the lack of it um, at points through over the last couple of years. So it's it's good that guys that were okay last season are now not even good enough to be okay in some cases and be on the bench because they've been, it would appear so far they've been replaced with superior players. So the fact that the recruitment is working um, to date is really quite encouraging and hopefully over the course of the season, Proves to be the case that the acquisitions we've made have been, well, hopefully more more hits than misses.
0: It's going to be interesting, though, because I mean, like, let's be honest. He's Ramirez is now out of the picture, clearly, completely out of the picture, done and dusted as it looks right now. Um, I can't see any reason why he wasn't on the bench yesterday. Um, th- there was nothing talked about an injury or anything of that nature. He appeared to have been capable of strolling around Aberdeen City Centre. Yesterday, late afternoon, um, potentially not at the ground itself, um, or it might have been just after the game finished. Didn't appear to be any sort of injury issue there.
1: Funny you mentioned that. Do you know, guys know where Aidan McGee was yesterday afternoon? When Hibbs were playing at home? No, when Hibbs were
0: playing though. Uh, he was sitting at home playing as Celtic on FIFA 23.
1: Missing penalties. Close enough. He was at a Celtic under-16s game.
0: No. like, Does he have a kid or something who plays for them? Nope. <clears throat> Amazing. Amazing. Absolutely lovely stuff. That's all I can say about that. Um, Back on Ramirez really quick though, because obviously now the MLS window's finished, so yeah. he ain't getting a move back to the US Um, at this moment in time, certainly not before our transfer window closes, which is on, it's on Wednesday. It's been moved back a day, hasn't it? Because there's the games in is it Wednesday has it been moved back to Thursday now can't remember off the top of my head it's been moved back by a day anyway because there are games in the Premier Sports Cup Tuesday and Wednesday this week so the the, the the deadline's been moved back by a day in Scotland I can't see another team in Scotland wanting Ramirez on the wages he's on I can't see a team outside of Scotland wanting him like down south or anything Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there because you know we just touched on it this, this does go back to a kind of like a Goodwin man and management thing it's all going very well just now for Jim Goodwin um which is good, and I'm not going to, you know, be too upset about that. But if we do get a couple of injuries, if if Mijowski does get injured, if Duke's still very raw, let's let's not try and pretend otherwise. We could be very quickly back in a position where we're almost not far away from that position where we were last season, where it was Ramirez was our only number nine option. And by freezing him out, it's going to be very very difficult to try and get him to come back into the team and like play to the best of his abilities, isn't that?
2: I would say so, and I would have a degree of sympathy with him as well. I mean, it must be difficult, whether he wants to be here or not. Sort of park that it must be difficult if you're basically told, "I don't, I don't rate you, I don't need you, I don't want you," and then all of a sudden, you've got to come crawling and saying, "Right, you're starting." It's quite a different shift in sort of attitude, mentality to to adjust to that. So I don't think I could be too critical of Ramirez if he maybe did say. Nah, I don't. I don't fancy it. It's, it's got the potential to be quite a messy situation, because it seems mm. unlikely. I mean, maybe if he's just here until sort of uh, whatever it is January, that's not too long. But it's it's a long enough. There's going to be injuries and or suspensions. So if he can be completely out of the picture for that long, I'll be a little bit surprised at that. I I'd be surprised if we don't have to draft him in and he gets some game time to cover for Somebody. for probably injuries. Somebody, yeah.
0: But you're not going to get the best out of him, are you? Let's be honest.
2: No, because he's not going to be fit or up to speed or anything like that. Ignoring, you know, he is still professional, but just from the point of view of what match sharpness is he he going to have. So he's going to have had weeks or months of doing training, basically, and then all of a sudden you're expecting him to come up, play, and he's never going to be as sharp as he was last season. So difficult. I don't think it matters what
1: Jim Goodwin does from this point now with regards to getting the best out of Ramirez like the, uh, the situation is pretty much dead in the water really and it, I will simply repeat what I said last week where I feel we just need to do whatever we need to do to to get him out of Aberdeen quite simply if he's not going to feature even on the bench there's no point in him being here um, take a payday have a quarter gap year whatever you want to call it even if he's not going to be here then just you know cut our losses and you can go back to la and be like personally be happier than being at aberdeen doing basically nothing and we need to just i do think we need another option because obviously like i said like he's not played any minutes marley watkins not played any minutes since the since the league cup group stages i think we still maybe probably need a reinforcement in that area but when it comes to ramirez yeah for me the ship has sailed and doesn't really matter what we did from this point on
0: it's just going to be very interesting though isn't it what happens with this um as we go forward, it I also makes me think that Aberdeen potentially we still need at least a striker um, before the transfer window closes um, this week. I still think that we're maybe one light if we are going to take that view with Ramirez potentially. Marley Watkins is another one appears to be well out of the picture now Um, with, with the manager. David Bates, not in the squad once again. That's I don't know how many squads that is now that he's not been in there. I think it's been since...
1: After Celtic away. Yeah, I can't exactly remember when the Legia yeah chat was, but yeah, he's not featured ever since that. Rumour. Well, was going about?
0: He's well at the picture as well, it's fair to say. So I suspect we might see some business this week as the transfer window slams oh. shut um, in the middle of the week. I
1: think so. I mean, I can't see Watkins, uh, Bates, McLennan another one. Connor McLennan's not featured at all. I don't even think he has even played at all this this season if he has it's maybe one or two sub appearances here and there and yeah the ramirez situation needs to be resolved one way or the other and if those four were to go out yeah i still think even without any outgoings we still need one or two uh in the door and it wouldn't surprise me if we get perhaps someone else in the center areas and maybe at least another attacking option
0: on that one um let's let's move away from christian ramirez then leighton clarkson Won all the plaudits last week after the goal, obviously, at uh, St Johnston. Not, uh, probably not his finest afternoon, um, on a football pitch yesterday. It's probably fair to say. Um, there was that I kind of felt the game kind of passing by a little bit, and I, I kind of don't want to kind of like criticizing too much about this physicality thing, but it, again, it was one of those games a bit similar to the Motherwell game where I felt that especially in that opening 30 minutes, Livingston really did seem to kind of overpower us in parts of the midfield. And I feel that like Clarkson is probably a bit of a weak link as far as that's concerned. But in saying that, you look at his quality that he does bring to the team and um, the through ball he plays to Miofsky for the, for the one that's chopped off is a fantastic through ball once again. So are we going to have to try and figure out a way to somehow like he's, he's clearly got attributes, which are very, very useful, on a football pitch in terms of, especially if you have a team track and a setup to make it difficult for you to penetrate, he's got attributes that are beneficial, but how do you get him to kind of make the most of his attributes in a in a physical, physical league?
1: It's difficult because I almost feel as though the team we started with against Livingston is almost the ideal setup of personnel around him to kind of compensate for his lack of physicality um if he's not going to play as like a number 10, which he doesn't appear suited to being, then you're always going to run the risk of him being in there and the opposition perhaps targeting him. It's a difficult one. Um, I don't think he had a great game against Livingston at all. You know, there's a a good bit of movement for, and a good pass for the Miofsky goal, which has ruled it. But beyond that, I'm not really sure I can think of too many other positive things he did on the on the pitch. Um, It's a hard one because also, I also feel like his best place might be Almost in the kind of what what do you call it like the deep lying quarterback role where it's all mm-hmm. really just about keeping the ball moving. But Ramadan is here, and Ramadan is really good at that, and he has the capability as well to switch into defense when your fullbacks are pressing forward, for example. So yeah, it's um yeah we've been here before, haven't we? With um, we have with yeah. some luxury players. Another thing for Jim Goodwin to figure out um against the Johnson, you will let it slide because he'll produce a moment of magic that wins you the game. But well, against Livingston, yeah, it was a little bit. It um, just wasn't happening for him at all, and you know, Livingston are a very tenacious side. It's the centre of the park, especially um, going forward. That'll be something that teams will look to exploit, and it's up to Jim Goodwin to figure out how to how to solve that problem. I, off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything to be quite honest.
2: I think it's just something we're going to have to. I mean, it's easy to say it needs to be stronger get used to it or whatever but it doesn't happen overnight and that might just not be his build or his game if you're not that type of player that's you know yeah because it's easy it's easy to say to be that type of player but it doesn't it doesn't work it doesn't work no. that way so i think there's always that sort of you want your cake and you want to eat it you know how many players do you get with maybe his ability but who can just dominate a game as well and those kind of guys well if he could do that he have been in the liverpool first team probably you wouldn't be up here on loan. So I think everyone wants to see good technical players and more often than not, maybe what you don't get is the physical side. So I think we just have to live with it. There might be games that pass him by, but with a bit of protection from his teammates. And he is still relatively inexperienced, not just in the league, but probably in general. So maybe yeah. over the coming games, he maybe has a, gets a feel for where to put himself or how to use his body a little bit better, whether that's just winning fouls. I think you just need to stick with him because you want guys like that. I mean, he's not going to do what he did against St. Johnston or St. Mirren every week, but that's a decent number of good moments in a relatively short period to suggest that he is capable of doing something out of nothing. So you want these guys on the pitch. And I think we're just going to have to live with the fact that at times he might get overrun. But I don't think one guy like that should mean that our midfield should be getting overrun. Because the trade-off is if you do get the ball back, you've got a really good footballer on the ball quite quickly, which you're going to want, obviously. And then you like have got like of Miofsky making good good runs and looks like he can finish, so they'll find each other. So I think we're just going to have to accept that at times, liability is a bit of a strong word. He's going to be a bit frustrating from the point of view of maybe getting knocked around off the ball, but I hope what he brings to it will be more than enough to offset that and over the course of the season playing and more often than not will be the right, op- the, th- the right thing to do.
1: I think that's actually a fair point but yeah, it's going to come down to a matter of experience as well. Um, in his debut against Sid Menard, when he played a little bit deeper, um, one of the most impressive things was that he had really good awareness of both where his teammates were and where the opponents were. and Maybe he's just playing that a little bit further up the pitch. He's maybe not understanding that he's going to have a little less time. The midfielders are going to be on him a little bit quicker. So yeah, that time, the experience, that's what ultimately what he's here for. It's why Livingston... Livingston? That's why Liverpool, Liverpool sent him on loan. If Livingston had him, then uh, mm-hmm. that will be a change-up. Um, that's why he's here from Liverpool. So yeah, maybe we just need to be a little bit patient and realise that, yeah, he has come from Liverpool. Obviously, they're a, a big club, but he is still a very, very young player learning the game. And he's yeah, he's an undoubted talent in the same way that James Madison was. And you, of course, want players that can influence the game create match winning situations on the pitch absolutely but it was just got to be like patient also understanding and realise that there may be there are games that he might not be suited for him and if that is the case do what we did on Saturday against Livingston and bring another option on because we've got plenty of
2: options on the bench yeah I think that's true or maybe in those games where you maybe look at the thing I'm not so sure well maybe he doesn't start but then you know 20 minutes to go half an hour to go with a team that's maybe Tiring, especially if we've been putting them under pressure, and you've got a guy who probably does get a little bit more time just because the opposition's a little bit more tired, and you bring on someone who can really hurt the opposition. So I think there's a lot to come from him. I take your point that at times we're probably going to be watching and think, "Ah, he's a little bit lightweight or whatever." But I think we're just going to have to take that, and I'm I'm confident that there'll be a lot more good things that he will do than just kind of getting overrun.
0: Anthony Stewart, Liam Scales, I thought um, for me, uh, Anthony Stewart's distribution in the first half was a little bit slack potentially, but between the two of them on the defensive side of things another good afternoon's work, generally speaking, I thought that the two of them dealt with the threat of Joel Newbley in particular pretty well. It's a thing that I think that um, when we spoke with Povey from the Almond V podcast last week on the show that I think maybe Livingston were a bit, I was surprised actually to see Livingston come and play Newbley as a number nine up against stuart in particular and uh, Oscars, i was surprised that they didn't try and pull uh Noobly off towards richardson or on to colson more
1: yeah i kind of had the impression that livingston had a very much a uh, plan that maybe wasn't so much predicated on aberdeen just the plan they seemed to go with really more than anything else um yeah. I, th- I thought Nubly caused stuart some problems to begin with with this kind of his size and his awkwardness um this shirt found it a little bit difficult to get to grips with him. But once he did, yeah, I mean, he didn't have a sniff of the ball at all. I mean, you wouldn't expect him to be doing much in the second half when we're hitting goal after goal after goal against them. But um, yeah, I thought Stuart handled the game very well. Um, distribution still, a bit awkward. Heading towards the opposition goal, fucking horrendous. <laughs> but um, as a pure defender, and again, as a leader, you know, there's moments where he's picking people up after they've maybe missed an opportunity or giving a... pat on the back to some people. He's just, yeah, he's a real leader and something we've needed for, again, what feels like a long time now. Um, Yeah, I thought he did really well, but I mean, it wasn't until you messaged me about who I should be putting forward for Man of the Match uh, when I just sort of looked up and noticed Liam Scales has not done anything wrong all day. And again, his distribution from the left side and, and the ability to break the lines, it's just... It's pretty incredible when you look at it. It was just another pretty flawless display from Liam Scales, one that makes you look at the press reports in the midweek that he's not looking towards the future, but just focusing on the now. We've heard that chat before. He's another one we might have to just uh, enjoy while he's here, I'm afraid to say.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely a potential of that. Um, what I did like about Anthony Stewart yesterday, there was a moment in the, it was in the first half, I think. I'm sure it was the first half. I spoke about it with somebody before, he's a defender who just wants to defend, that's all he's interested in doing is just defending, it's very I think he spoke about it actually when he joined, wants to celebrate defending, wants to celebrate clean sheets Um, it's very kind of Italian-esque in the approach, you know when you see Italian teams getting a nil 0 or making a tackle and you see people like high-fiving each other like they've just scored a goal there was one moment where Noobly tried to l- let the ball roll out for a corner kick up at the Merklinet road end and it was just right on the line, and Stuart just kind of bided his, time, bided his time, bided his time, bided his time, and then just like stepped in really quickly, flicked the ball off of Noobly and got a goal kick out of it. And it was just one of those moments where like, this is a defender who knows how to defend, and the joy that that brought him for doing it, was fucking excellent. I fucking love stuff like that. He was delighted with it. Scales came over and gave him a high five, but it's bringing McCroney job back to him a high five as well. It's good. There's definitely a, a proper team spirit growing in there. I feel that the Stuart Scales partnership cannot be split up again this season. No matter what happens in terms of this whole Scales can't play against Celtic thing, then whenever we can, they have to keep those two together. If we have injuries at left back or right back or whatever, the solution is not to move one of those two out of their positions. It's to find a different solution to that
2: problem. I agree with that. I'm really enjoying them both, actually, because although I have to confess, I didn't i do not going to have it watching Celtic unless they're playing Aberdeen. So Scales is probably working out a little bit better than I, I thought he might do. And it's true for me, he was an unknown. I'm not going to pretend I was a real football aficionado and had been watching him um, in England. But so far, so good. And, well, we've been through this a million times. What do you do with McCrory? He's he's one of our better midfielders, in my opinion. So I'm absolutely with you. No no decking about with that combination until you absolutely have to because you can't play. And then we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But for our left or right back options, just figure something else out. Keep them together because I think the more games they get together, they're just going to get better and better. Agreed. There
0: we go. Nice and easy, that one.
1: Yep. Yeah. Play players in their best position.
0: It might catch on. Yeah, it might it might catch on. I thought Ilber Ramadani and Ross McCrory again probably had quite quiet first thirty minutes. The two of them. This is that thing
1: where we talk about Leighton Clarkson, and obviously he's not alone in centre midfield when it comes to that uh, first half hour. Yeah, they weren't really at the races as such in terms of the battle, which was surprising. You'd think those two—that's what oh, those two are built for. Um, but then obviously when we get the advantage, we get the goal up. Yeah, solid games, rock solid.
0: Big fan of Elba Ramadan at the end, I must admit. Uh, You touched on it, Gav. I mean, this is a guy who's been at the club for what now? Um, Two or three months, top?
1: Two months, yeah.
0: Um, This is a guy who seems to just absolutely fucking love being an Aberdeen player already. Really seems to have a bit of a bond with the support. Ramadan is a player, I think, as well, that's going to fall into the kind of Brian Grant category for me, whereby he's probably going to knock out relatively solid 7 out of 10 performances every week. And you'll never really notice him.
1: No, it's a double-edged sword being Ilba Ramadani because when he's good you won't notice it and when he's bad you will fucking notice it. Uh, but uh, yeah. yeah, I thought it was a really I thought it was quite a sweet moment when he brought his kid on to the uh, pitch there at the very end there, especially. Uh,
0: you'd have thought, you know, he would just won a cup as opposed to just beating uh, Livingston at home, yeah. but all good, he will learn.
1: Yeah, well, I, we kind of, we try and touch on the human element of football as well in our analysis and I I assume that probably means that do we? That, well, I think I think we do. I think try. Know, I, I am just joking. Apart from when we're talking about Declan Gallagher. Um. So yeah, presumably I I'd, I'd assume that his kid coming on the pitch at the very end means that his family are maybe not with him, and it was maybe a bit of a special event. So the way that he's just come in and seemingly made Aberdeen his home, well, perhaps things are not as easy off the park. Yeah, it speaks to his character, and yeah, he's just he's a quality
0: quality player. Kel-Rus, let's talk about him because we've not spoken about Kelrus at all, much of the fact this season so far. Um, I would just say it was probably his best performance in an Aberdeen shirt yesterday, which is what I said the week before, after the St. Johnston game as well. Um, I think he's definitely becoming more and more impressive as the weeks go by. Really, really big save from Obelai we talked about there in the first half when it's 0-0. Um, but more importantly for that was actually yesterday was the first time I think we really saw him tr- coming and claiming cross balls into his box. Um his distribution is definitely um very good, which is a big help. There was a couple of big passes he played over the top towards like Saberin and that on counter-attacks yesterday, that if they'd just been just a touch better, we'd have been in on them. Um again, I think there was a lot of scepticism, shall we say, about Kelrus when we signed him from Derby County. But is he starting, do you think, to win over? Us here, and is he starting to win over the support more generally? Do you think?
1: Well, let's go to Kelrus's biggest skeptic.
0: Come on.
2: I think he is starting to obviously find his feet. I mean, I have no idea how. I guess he's got you know he's got the new new club, new city, all the rest of it from the sort of personal side, and then obviously a new defence because these guys don't know each other. So I'm still a little surprised that he is or was made the number one. But that being said, other than in previous games where I don't think he's been as commanding as maybe Lewis would be, he's not really done anything wrong. So there's not really any reason that he shouldn't be starting every week based on his performances to date. And you maybe would hope that he starts to grow into it as the games go on and he gets more comfortable with his teammates and everything. So to be fair, it's just difficult to make a case for actually changing out the keeper, isn't it? I mean, why? why would you? We're on a reasonable run.
1: We well, can't now.
2: No, you can't now. He's not done anything. He's not done anything wrong. So he obviously is the number one, and to be fair, probably should be based on what we've seen to date. I guess what gives me a bit more confidence than maybe the seasons gone by is if that changes, yeah. you have a really, really competent number two now. I'll, I'll have no concerns about Joe Lewis having to come in and whether he then plays a run of games or maintains the number one spot, doesn't really matter. Whereas, and I mean, it feels like it's been quite some time since you've looked at the bench and felt, right, <laughs> our subkeeper can come on and <laughs> it's not panic stations. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, if Roose makes that, that spot his own, or rather he, if he continues to keep the number one jersey, then, then that's fine because if he's playing better than Lewis, then he's playing really well, in my opinion.
1: What are you trying to say about Gary Woods? I'm saying he wasn't very good. <laughs> it's, a it's a polite way of polite. putting it. Gary, what were, you, what were you saying
0: about Gary Woods? Um, somebody talked to me today about, oh, it's nice to have a, a, a player who's in here who's a, an upgrade on Gary Woods. I think my comment was, a traffic cone with a set of fucking gloves strapped to it would have been an upgrade on Gary Woods. So you know my feelings about that absolute joker.
1: <laughs> um, one thing about Killers I what just want to know, why did he shave his head? When did he do this? I if you watch the first bus videos on YouTube, Kelrus has got a lovely head of hair. And at some Maybe. point he has shaved his head
0: and it looks really bad. But it's just not like the kind of this is like Scott Brown and somebody posted today, Martin Skirtle effect, where people are just shaving their head to be bald voluntarily.
1: I don't I don't get it. Martin Skirtle's
0: got a fine head of hair. He looks like a very handsome chap with a head of hair, but he's obviously just decided to just is it a with Scott Brown, it was clearly a a character thing like it's like he had to make himself like Scott Brown the footballer and he had to get into character I don't know maybe that is part of it I don't, I don't know Meth, like method acting method acting
1: that's right Um, but yeah when it comes to Kel's performance yeah I would tend to agree I think it's um, in the red shed the save from um, Obelie didn't look as impressive as it was watching it on TV you see how, suddenly, how quickly the ball comes to him Yeah, Really good save. And more importantly, he's able to get the ball around the post, not just uh, knock it back into the danger area. Um, As I said before, if Livingston go 1-0 up, changes the complexion of the game completely. But yeah, I'd agree as well. The moment where he comes and claims the cross ball from the Livingston left side, we've not seen that. He's been pretty rooted to his goal line most of the time he's been here. Uh, if he's going to be more commanding in those situations, it's going to be a huge match, And he should be because he's a big lad. He's you know, He's got a really good reach on him. And um, I think that, yeah, we've got to ex- understand that. Yeah, he's, he's new to the club. It's an entirely new back five, mm-hmm. even going towards Ramadani. If you want to call it even a back six, there's still people who need to understand exactly what everyone's strengths and weaknesses are. Um, Motherwell, we were a bit critical and I think he could have done better with some of the goals, but, you know, goalkeepers are often criticised more because their errors tend to lead to, well, they directly lead to goals. As opposed to, you know, if Miofsky doesn't score a pretty simple one-on-one, not the end of the world, necessarily. Um, And I do think as well that, yeah, it's what, it's August 28th now? I can't see Joe Lewis leaving and someone else coming in at the situation. So we are going to go into the season, at least until January, with a very, very strong number two goalkeeper. So Kelrus is going to have to stay on this form, and I'm sure that he'll know that, because he'll see Joe Lewis in training, and Joe Lewis will be desperate to get the get the shirt back. So that kind of competition is only going to be a good thing, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, he is a massive upgrade on the Iker Casillas impersonator that was Gary Wood's.
0: One person who I don't have spoken about yet, and I, I kind of want to touch him really, really quickly, and then we can kind of move off of looking at the game against Livingston. Um, Duke came off the bench with about, what, half an hour to go? Uh, he pretty, came on a, a little bit f-
1: before that. About the 55-minute mark he came yeah, on.
0: okay, so slightly over half an hour. Um, I personally thought, again, um, early days, but that was, again, his best performance in an Aberdeen shirt so far, and he... Really showed us just what he can bring to the table to this Aberdeen team going forward.
1: I mean, when he came on again, I loved the substitution because it was a really attacking substitution and it wasn't, it was 1 0 at the time. It wasn't even as though we were in like a, you know, hugely comfortable or commanding position. So I loved that from Goodwin. And yeah, when he came on, I mean, the work he does to win the penalty, he is a distant second favourite to win the ball. And he just turns on the turbochargers. It's unbelievable the pace that the guy has. And I think especially when you use him as an impact sub, he can be really a real asset. Because you could see the Livingston players, the defenders wanted to drop back so they wouldn't be caught by his pace. Which then in turn creates all this space, you know, ahead for our you know more creative players to... Excel. Um, yeah, I thought his work was outstanding. He's got such pace and such strength and I think as well, if, if the guy can't remember the Livingston Defender's name now, but if he doesn't take him out yeah, Cansar. Cancer. If he doesn't take him out, I think Duke's gonna whip that round in the far corner. I thought it was really yeah, that was a very, very good I was gonna say cameo, it wasn't that, it was an important substitute appearance and more of that please.
2: Yeah, I think he might be a little bit like Clarkson in that he might frustrate and there's things you'd want him to do differently and or better. But it's quite an encouraging start to and Just like you say having that pace and that power is just a really good attribute to have. And I don't think we've had that as an option maybe for a wee while you know if you, if plan A is not working, I think Gary, you and I were discussing this must have been there during the week. Plan A is not working, but your Plan B is just Plan A with fresh legs. Yeah. What What is that going to ever change? But now you've you've got a Plan B, at least, that is different, and possibly even a Plan C, depending on how far through the squad you want to go. So it's good because you're going to have to change your formation and tactics, not necessarily to start games, depending who you're playing, but the way a game goes at some point. That's that's where the manager earns his money. He's going to have to change it around. And it kind of looks like we've now got some players on the bench that can actually do that for us. Whereas, I don't know how just to refuel last season and keep banging on about We were so flat everywhere. And then your subs were just basically like for like. Nothing was ever going to change. So encouraging. I'm hoping there's more to come from him in terms of probably force his way into the team. But I agree with you, Gavin. It was more than a... Talking run around, couple of tricks, and we're all excited. I mean, that that was quite a big moment in the game and just basically put us out of sight. Um, yeah, I mean, pace is all well
1: and good, but I've never I can't think of seeing a player with the acceleration he has from a standing start.
2: Uh, to sort of optimum
1: speed. It's crazy. I mean, the last player I could probably think of maybe be I don't know, maybe Dad and Mackie before he discovered Pop Tarts and Lambert and Butler.
2: Or me last Thursday at Fives, or two Thursdays ago. Till my calf basically was that when you were up. chasing
1: me and then you uh, pulled up with a with a tight calf.
2: Pretty much, I was like, <laughs> "I'm going to get him," and my calf like, eh, "I don't think so." And then that that was that. Um That's a good point about the acceleration, actually, because sometimes it's not the pace; it's that burst gets him in front of the defender who panics. And obviously, if he's doing that in the box, then you're going to be getting penalties. Or if he's in and around the box, as you'd expect him to be in that sort of position or on the wing, you you're drawing fouls and that that well, obviously just gets the team up the pitch and you get set pieces etc it's all just really really useful and I mean he does look like he's going to annoy the hell out of us at, at times but he's going to do some things that you think yeah that was pretty cool I didn't see that coming so I'm quite looking forward to seeing him over the course of the the season
1: I hope that against I mean we're going ahead of things but I hope against Annan if we can make the game like put it to bed early doors we can maybe get even like a full 45 minutes out of him I think it's one who's also just going to get better and better with more and more game time
2: yeah and again he's still relatively young I mean I don't think he's got a wealth of experience game wise so kind of forget that it you know I guess everyone gets used to the you know it's New City all the rest of it at different rates so maybe he's still finding his feet out with the club as well but yeah that that's a good example actually if we could if we could be out of sight reasonably early on in the game against that to get these guys, it's almost like a free hit if you like it. It's no pressure, you know. The games, you hope he's coming on. The games turn dust to just go and enjoy yourself. Gives him a bit of fitness, bit of confidence, and then obviously gives fans a chance to see what he can do in yeah, more of a in a longer period.
0: All in all, uh, a good afternoon's work. It's fair to say um, for you boys, top dawn yesterday.
1: I believe the people have chosen my pick. Uh, so I agree with the people. It's Boyan Miofsky.
2: Yeah, the customer's always right, except when they're wrong. But in this instance, I reckon they're right, so I'm fine with that.
0: Miofsky is. Uh, Miofsky picked up on the the solar system vote, 56% for the Macedonian, uh, ahead of Ross McCurry, 21%, Johnny Hayes, 14 and Liam Scales on 9 I think it's hard to argue with that. Um, All-round good performance from... Mr. Miofsky, uh, more of that please. Let's move on. On to other news from Potodri in Cormac Park this week. A fairly quiet one on the news front. Uh, the main news being the latest announcements of the inductees to the 2022 Hall of Fame. Early in the week, it was confirmed that Doogie Bell would be the latest from that great side of the early 80s to receive his induction bell signing uh, for Aberdeen from St. Mirren in 1979 by Sir Alex Ferguson, going on to make 185 appearances for the club, scoring 14 goals, picking up three league titles, two Scottish Cups, played an integral role in the run to the European Cup Winners' Cup final, although he didn't feature in the final itself due to injury. And he played in both legs in our Super Cup success in 1983 over Hamburg. It's kind of one of the Gothenburg greats that's not a Gothenburg great He didn't play that day, but absolutely part of that legendary squad. And we're delighted to confirm that we've got an interview with the man himself locked in the chamber, ready for release at some point over the next few weeks. And then the week was seen out by the confirmation that Russell Anderson would also be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Born in Aberdeen, coming through the youth system, making his debut in 1997 before going on to make 407 appearances over his two spells with the club, scoring 21 goals. Our 2014 League Cup winning captain, taking his rightful place amongst the pantheon of legends already inducted into the Hall of Fame. Gav, Graham, your thoughts on the two inductees? And Graham, obviously you missed it last week, but with the news that Duncan Shearer was also uh, the initial, the inaugural inductee for this year's class.
2: Really, really good. Certainly well-deserved. I mean, from my point of view, of the three, Anderson's the only one that I got to see playing. Um, I have a lot of time for him. I thought he was great for Aberdeen. So, yeah, it's, it's really, really good to see them finally, I guess whether it matters to them, I don't know, formal recognition, I don't know how you would quite describe it, but I feel like they they've contributed a lot to the club over the years, so it's sort of nice to have that formalised in the record books, if you like, that they're in the Hall of Fame. So uh, yeah, credit where credits you. They've all played a part, and hopefully, it's something that will mean something to them, and that they have a a great night on the assumption that they they can attend. Um, yeah, obviously Dougie Bell, kind of a little bit of an
1: unsung hero of the of the 1983 uh, squad, didn't play in the in the final, and maybe didn't get uh, a sort of. Uh, a moment in the Bayern match perhaps but a huge player for the for the Watershy semi-final yeah Um, a quality player entirely deserving of this award Russell Anderson's a little bit of a special one because I can remember him coming into the team as a very young truth be told pretty unconvincing right back and to watch him kind of make his way through those difficult times and then grow into being captain of the club and for my money for those two, maybe even three years before he left for Sunderland, grew into being the best centre half in the country. Um, came back, you know, maybe he wasn't quite the same player, but still had the quality, still had that um the way that he led by example. And at the end of the day, he's the the last captain of our of our great club to have a trophy. Um yeah, a local lad that's lived the dream, and I think it's only fitting that he takes his place in the AFC Hall of Fame. So, congratulations to both of them.
0: Indeed, absolutely. On to Lone Watch. uh, Kieran Ngwenya at Wraith Rovers. He came on for the final two minutes as Wraith fell to a 2 1 defeat at Firhill in the Championship. Mason Hancock for our both with the full 90 minutes under his belt, but our both again falling to another defeat this time 1 0 away at Hamilton as they remain rooted to the bottom of the Championship. Evan (laughs) Towler. Come on, Gav
1: the big dick experience coming to a league one near you.
0: Potentially, potentially at this rate. Um, Evan Towler missing out on the squad altogether for a third week in the row as Cove were beaten 2-1 by Queen's Park at View. Gav's got his thumbs up for this one. Just once again, as I, as you rattle through Lone Watch as I
1: look at the notes, it's like these are going very well for us. <laughs> um,
0: where are we now?
1: I think you're about to talk about how Tom Ritchie was on the bench for Queen of the South.
0: Tom Ritchie back on the bench for Queen of the South as they were beating 3-1 away at Falkirk in League 1. Kevin Hanrati with the full 90 minutes under his belt for Forfer as they lost 2-1 to Stenhouse at Station Park in League 2. And then Dean Campbell came off the bench for the last 30 minutes as the wheels finally came off. Big bad bung giving Steve Evans Stevenage as they lost by one goal to nil at Salford City to a last minute goal. No game for the young team this week, so we can move straight on to the women's team. After last week's draw with Partick Thistle, the Quines faced a daunting trip to Glasgow to take on Glasgow City at Peters Hill Park. The Quines looking to get their first win of the season. Three changes to the starting lineup for Emma Hunter and Gavin B. Side Madsen Finney, Francesca Ogilvie, and Ava Thompson all dropping to the bench, replaced by Millie Uckert, Elena Karkanen, and Hannah Stewart. Taking their places, Don's Keeper and ABZ FP sponsored AJ Meech straight into the action on five minutes she had to make a smart stop to tip a 20-yard effort from Lauren Davidson wide of the post, but it was only a further eight minutes until the hosts took the lead. The ball in from Foley, met by Claire Shine, and her flick-on appeared to take a touch off a Don's head before finding its way into the back of the net. Despite the early setback, the Quines began to find their feet, and the Dons had a goal to sloud. Shortly afterwards, fine ball forward by Shore, finding Stewart and her finish was tidy, but the flag was raised. Whilst the hosts were dominating possession, the visitors were playing with real determination on the break, looking to counter at any opportunity. Meech had to look smart to stop an effort from Kozak before Hutchison rattled the Glasgow City goal from 25 yards with the goalkeeper stranded. Kozak again going close just after that hour mark, at the half hour mark, another effort from outside the box, looked destined for the top corner, until A.G. Meech pulled off an outstanding save to knock it wide and it stayed 1-0 until halftime. The Dons making a change at halftime. Francesca Ogilvie coming on for Maya Christie. Before Ava Thompson and Natasha Bruce came on just before the hour mark for Hannah Stewart and Elena Kirkanen. And those subs paid off as just after the hour, Bailey Collins followed up on a Hutchinson effort, keeping the ball alive, squaring it back to Hutchinson who squared for Ogilvie. To tap home, the equaliser level pegging though was only short-lived. Glasgow City taking the lead again on 69 minutes. A long-range free kick falling kindly for Whelan in the box and her low strike was too much for Meech to stop. This time the Dons though kept up their belief in intensity. Luke continually threatened on the break. Thompson going close on the edge of the box before Shore got herself into the end of a Hutchinson through ball but was denied by the flag before getting a chance to get her strike away. A further late chance for to Gover but her header from Hutchinson's Cross was blocked before it could reach the goal. It finished 2-1 to the host. A valiant performance though that will give a lot of heart to the side after what's been an indifferent start to the campaign. Next up, a little bit of a break. It is the visit of Hibbs to the Mono Stadium on the 11th of September. Tuesday evening. Sees the first ever meeting between the Dons and Annan Athletic at Gallabank in the Premier Sports Cup round of 16. Annan coming into this one after a 2 2 draw with Albion Rovers on Saturday. The Gallabank, he's picking up the point after an injury time equaliser. It's been a fairly iffy start to the campaign for Annan, currently sitting ninth in League Two, having played five, 1 1, drawn one, lost three in the league. They got absolutely fucking pumped by Dumbarton 4 0 a couple of weeks back. A sharp contrast to what has been their early season form where the top group F at the Premier Sports Group stage making their way into the round of 16s. They knocked out St. Johnston in the process. Now, to get the lowdown on what we can expect on Tuesday evening, I caught up with Colin from the Lincolnshire Gallup Bankies for his thoughts. Now, I should point out this was recorded a couple of weeks ago, but the vast majority of the interview absolutely still stands. Colin from the Lincolnshire Gallabankies, welcome to the APZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem, not a problem, Colin. Uh, more importantly, thank you to you for taking the time to, to talk to us about, well, let's just get straight down to business, I think, shall we? Um, Obviously, we're looking forward to the very first meeting between Aberdeen and Annan Athletic on Tuesday night at Gallabank in the Premier Sports Cup round of 16. Looking forward to it? Yeah,
4: very much so. I think uh, out of, well, the... Obviously, the the maybe the tie at uh, at Parkhead or or um, Ibrox, it's probably the uh, the the best one we could have hoped for as a as a lower league side. Um, and it'll I think there'll be a you know a decent crowd in at Gala Bank. Um, tickets are selling well. Um, should be a good night uh, under the lights. Uh, really looking forward to it. To be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's very rare now that, as an Aberdeen
0: fan, we get the opportunity to say it's the first ever meeting between yeah. a team in, in the Scottish um setup, which is great. I mean, obviously, a tremendous start for Annan to the season, finishing top of Group F in the early stages of the League Cup, a 0-0 draw against St Johnstone, a 1-1 draw with the Champions, Championship side, Air United, which, obviously, um, the Galabankies picked up. The bonus points in both of those were penalty shootout wins, and then wins over Elgin City and Queen of the South. Yep. meant progression into the round of 16 presumably i mean when we when we went through the group stage chat with um guys from like uh the sterling Albion, and obviously who are in league two as well yeah the kind of view they had a lot of time as well this is almost like an ex- like pre-season almost in a way for for them because they were still trying to get players in the door etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. but for you guys obviously that, presumably the progression at the group stages was just way beyond what would have been expected
4: it was, and I think it was, uh, I mean, it couldn't have got off to a better start against Queen's. Um, probably, I think that was the, actually the first win uh, since we've been in the league uh, in any capacity against Queen of the South. So I think it kind of escalated from there. I mean, we, yeah, you're right. I mean, we, we were we were seeing it as a just a bit of a, a pre-season uh, exercise, really, I guess. But then it grew arms and legs. you know we, we obviously be, we beat Queens and we got the penalty shootout win against uh, St Johnston. Um, um, and we confidence grew and I think uh, to be honest, the toughest one of, of, of the lot of them was the a, the a United game. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did get a bit of luck in that one. we got we got a penalty uh, right in the last minute, uh, which got us the point that we needed um and obviously we've got the bonus point winning uh, uh, the the penalty shootout in that one so yeah it, it from from being like a uh you know a, a pre-season bit of fun or a you know exercise or whatever um it grew arms and legs and uh, and now you know we we're, we're, we're in the next round and uh we've we've got a big money tie to look forward to so yeah it's it's great
0: and obviously that can afford on the back of I guess on the face of it, presumably a fairly successful season last time out, although ending in, in I guess, kind of disappointing fashions because obviously Annan yeah. eventually finished third in League Two, made your way into the playoff final, um, where unfortunately you were beaten 3-2 by, um, well, FC Edinburgh, as they are yeah. now. Yes. Uh, presumably aspirations will be high this season that Annan can go a step further and maybe secure promotion at League Two for the first time since joining the senior ranks back in 2008.
4: Yeah, there's a lot of expectation. Um we, we we're obviously very disappointed not to uh, you know not to get promotion um I mean it's that first leg uh, up at Edinburgh that that really killed us but you know we we we, uh, we we reduced it where we wiped out the deficit in the second leg very very quickly yeah um but thanks to just a, a complete worldie from uh, an on loan HIDS guy I think um uh, that was it. That was it. All over. We were, we were that close to 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 getting promoted, but you know we we played well uh, throughout that season. We'd had um, a, a cup run in in the Scottish Cup as well. Um, a a three nil defeat by by Rangers really was was a, an outstanding performance in the end. You know uh, that that's what it culminated in. Um, but yeah, there was some really good league performances, um, and I think you know we, we were unlucky that. Celtic Hearts were were just in unstoppable form, pretty much throughout the whole season. Um, although we did get a famous win against them uh, on Boxing Day, um, but yes, I think we'd be looking to go one step further. But it's been I've got to, I've got to be honest, it's been a bit of an indifferent uh, start to the league. Um, a defeat away at Stranraer, and then a home win against Stenos Muir. and then an absolute thumping just Saturday there. Um, has meant that it's been really, really inconsistent. And um, I'm not quite sure, you know, what's going to happen in the next couple of games. I mean, uh, to be honest, the players look tired on Saturday, but uh, whether or not that's down to the, uh, you know, the big push uh, in mm. the League Cup, um, you know, at the start of the season or not, I don't know. Uh, but it's, yeah, it, it it's been a bit inconsistent
0: to start with anyway. It was, a, it was a bit roasty-toasty in the Dumbarton area anyway on Saturday. I guess, it so that Having been uh, in, in in the region, shall we say, over the, yeah. over the end of last week as well. So perhaps that's maybe something to do with it. I mean, you kind of touched on it there, a bit of an indifferent start. You, you, you've you got exactly, at the time we're recording this, this is Tuesday, the week before the game um, when we're recording. So there's also games to take place at the weekend before our match uh, next Tuesday. But you've got exactly the same league record at the moment. So Aberdeen played for the 1-1, lost Two, when I was going back through the kind of data from, from last season and and I guess even from the start of this season as well, I mean, your manager, uh, Peter Murphy, an Irishman, so there'll be two Irishmen in the, in the respect of dugouts next Tuesday. He's also been with Annen since 2017. You've had quite a bit of turnover of players, I guess, in the summer, mm. which I don't think is necessarily out of kilter with what you tend to see in the lower leagues anyway. I think you've had eight in in total, five out. Yeah. Um, I guess the most important thing, though, looking at last season is the fact that you've been able to retain... Uh, your top scorer last season Tony Wallace got 13 in the league and then the second top scorer Tom, Tommy Goss who got 12 in the league I guess that's a big big tick in the box for you guys to be able to retain you know that's 25 goals right there alone um within the kind of within the squad
4: yeah I would agree with that I mean we've, we've kept the the nucleus uh of of a very good squad and, and we've we've got some uh decent additions as well uh Benjamin uh, Luisa has come in from Gretna, um, who, who, who's looking quite an exciting prospect. Got his first goal at home to Stenhouse Muir. Um, and Tommy Muir's come back in as well from, uh, from Stranraer. He was, he was obviously a big favourite um, about three years ago uh, when we got to the playoffs, uh, sorry, the playoff final against Clyde. But the one big factor, I think, has been the departure of Owen Moxon, um, a central midfielder, He's actually uh, he's signed for Carlisle United, uh, so he's he's got the chance to have a crack in in League mm-hmm. Two in England. Um, Bar accounts, he's, he's started very well for them as well. But he was a major factor, um, you know, f- uh, for, for for us doing so well and having such a having such a good midfield and a free scoring midfield as well. But uh, but yeah, keeping um, certainly keeping t- uh, Tony Wallace and uh, and Tommy Gosser. Uh, it's yeah, it's a big factor. It's going to be a big factor. Yeah, I mean, you, you were really free scoring last season,
0: 64 goals in 36 league games. So the second top scorers in the league, only Kelty Hearts managed more, um, but pretty leaky at the back. Um, yeah. 51 goals conceded. That's more than Cowden and B2 finished bottom of the table. Um, from that, the kind of limited data set, looking at the results as well um, from the start of the season, like you say, the kind of 4-0 defeat by them bar in the weekend. Mm. Is it, Fair to say that Murphy likes to play in a kind of fairly open,
4: expansive way for a for a League Two side. Yeah, I think that I think that is a fair uh, fair thing to say. I mean uh, when when you come to um when you come and see a match at Gala Bank, you know, you you you're entertained. It's it's free flowing football. Um we've got you know in in addition to the likes of Wallace and Goss we've got we've got Chris Johnston as well who's who was formerly of Kilmarnock. Mm-hmm. um very tricky on the wing uh and we had uh Michael Garrity as well last year who was at, who was at Morton um mm-hmm. so yeah it very very free, free flowing football um but it it does it, or it has left us slightly exposed at the back on on uh, on quite a few occasions last year uh you know we we did we did concede probably you know more goals than we would have liked and uh, it 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 probably cost us uh, you know a second place finish mm-hmm. um but really and truly we were never going to catch Kelty. hearts Kelty had uh, had started the season uh, magnificently and, uh, and nobody was going to catch we knew by christmas that we you know we really we weren't going to catch them so Just turning, I guess, to the game
0: next Tuesday, what do you think Aberdeen can expect from Annan? How do you expect Annan will set out to take on Aberdeen next weekend outside of the kind of players we've mentioned already? Who would be the danger men that, that Aberdeen fans should be looking out for in the Annan lineup? Um,
4: I think you'll expect, uh, I, I mean, I think uh, Annan will just give it their all. Uh, they know they've got nothing to lose. Um, it, it'll, it promises to be a good atmosphere. Um as I said just at the top of the uh at the top of it, um tickets are selling well. It's likely to be a, a you know a decent crowd in. Whether or not we 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 sell out two and a half thousand tickets or not, I don't know. Um but yeah, I think I think the danger men will probably if he starts, then it'll be Chris Johnson. He he will I'm I'm fairly sure he'll be given a like free-flowing um role on the wing. Um and he'll be encouraged to just go and uh, go and take uh, take players on, do what you can. And I think the whole uh, mindset of the squad will be just don't be afraid, just go and have a good go at it.
0: I guess, I mean, hopefully it should be a big away support. I know tickets have been selling well from the Aberdeen perspective on that side of things. It's always, um, it, it's one of these games again where it's like it's an opportunity for people as well to tick off mm. grounds on the list in Scotland that you've not been to yet. Um, I guess though, in terms of aspirations for Aaron as well, looking beyond Tuesday for this season, we touched on it earlier on, you'd be hoping to try and make that push to try and get promoted this league. League two is always hyper competitive, you know, it always is. Um, but maybe looking at this season now, with you know, I, I feel that League two teams have been a bit unlucky in the last couple of seasons when you've had the likes of Kelty Hearts, the likes of Cove Rangers, who've just come in and yeah. have got buck loads of, bucket loads of money to spend on players and, and do so and just kind of bump up the league. It looks to me on the face of it this year to be even more competitive than you'd normally expect, although. I'm surprised to see Dumbarton sitting top of the table, three wins out of three so far, given the kind of state that Dumbarton went in at the back end of the last campaign. Um, Mm. But even then it looks like it's going to be a really competitive league and and a massive battle to try and get out of league Two this season again.
4: Yeah, I I think you're, I think you're hundred percent correct. Funnily enough, I was saying to somebody else on Twitter that um, it's going to be an interesting league. Uh, You know, you could count out of the 10 that are in it. There's, there's six or seven teams that that you could fancy mm-hmm. uh, to be in that playoff or, or title mix. Um, like you, I'm actually quite surprised that that Dumbarton have, have started as well as they have. Um they yeah, I mean, they were in a right mess um, you know, at the at the close of last season. Um, but I think you're right in that it's it's only a, it's only gonna get even more competitive with uh, you know, with with the pyramid and with with these teams coming up especially if they've got a bit of money behind them uh, it's been well documented you know with the likes of Kelty Hearts and Cove Rangers uh getting promoted and now Bonnie Rig Rose look like they're going to follow in a similar fashion as well I mean they've started ever so well um as well so yeah I think it's it's only just getting going to get even more competitive um whoever comes up but Certainly, in terms of of a floating fan, if 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 anybody's you know wanting to to come and watch lower league football, um, they'll be entertained because I, I think with with these newer teams that are coming up, it's cleared out a, a, quite a lot of dead wood uh, in the lower leagues. You know, you've got the likes of Brekin, Cowdenbeath, Berwick that have all gone, and they don't look like they're going to come back either. Well, uh, yeah, not yeah. for a long time, you
0: know. Absolutely. I- on on that, actually, just on the pyramid thing, I'm always intrigued by this um, question now when, when I speak to teams or fans from teams in League Two especially now. Mm-hmm. What's your own personal view about the fact that there is that trapdoor now out of League Two um, going down the way? Because, you know, for me, I look at teams like Beath in particular, who um, I'm not going to win any um, brownie points in the Fife area by using this expression, but <laughs> Beath have seemed like a turd that just wouldn't flush for about... I don't know, ten seasons now. Like they were just yeah. always hovering around that spot, and it's like yeah. they finally, they finally went. Obviously, back end of last season. Yeah. Um. You know, Beric were in similar shape a long time before, mm. and you've just seen Beric kind of disappear without a trace, almost. Um, yeah. What was your personal view on it? Because it it does it, it creates a double jeopardy, I guess, from from one mm. perspective, doesn't it? Because
4: if you have a stinking mm. season, you just never know. Mm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I think it's good in the way that you get some fresh blood um i I quite like that um you know in a similar vein to england um where you you get clubs coming up from the national league and you know you get some big clubs going down um it, it is quite good the the only thing i would say is that if if clubs continue to throw more and more money at some of these clubs how sustainable is that going to be um is it going to sort of take the soul out of it a, a little bit i mean even further down the um down the pyramid you've got the likes of darville yeah uh now i'm actually based in Ayrshire. okay um i'm actually <laughs> i'm actually the uh one of the few of our uh linkage supporters group that's that is actually based in in, in scotland <laughs> um but i've only got Darvel just up the road uh and and there they really are throwing you know the the kitchen sink at it um but then again you've got the likes of falkenlek like talbot that um that that are quite happy to remain uh, a a big fish in a small pond so it might not be for everybody you know to to maybe move up the leagues uh, but it's yeah i think in, in the grand scheme of things if it's if it's creating a, a bit of fresh blood then i think that that can be certainly a good thing and a, a thing to be enjoyed certainly for the next few seasons but i suppose it depends just on uh, you know how much money an owner is is willing to to throw at a, a a side that, that's coming through the ranks? Well,
0: that's going to be the interesting thing now with like Cove and McKelty, I think, especially Cove, because they're at a championship level now. It's like, how yeah. far are they willing to to to, to push things, and are, are they willing to try and push for like obviously like top flight, for example? I'm sure they yeah. would love to, but that comes with its own um, own issues. Because I know that there's a lot of players at Cove, for example, who like the fact they're on that hybrid semi-pro kind of model where they can you know, guys who've come out of the top flight can pick up a 95 job, earn decent money in the kind of Aberdeen area, but still pick up their money at the weekend, yeah. play for Cove yeah. and everything, you know, it becomes very difficult at that point, I think, um, mm. to make that decision as long as Open Goal, Broom Hill aren't the team that come up this season, that's the main thing I think, um, I think the whole of Scotland will be supporting anybody who comes <laughs> up against them in the playoffs if that's to happen, but I saw they yeah. got pumped 4-0 by I think it was the University of Sterling last week, so fingers crossed that won't happen. Listen, no. Colin, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us tonight. Um, we'll round it off a little bit
4: but by asking, what are your predictions for next Tuesday? Ooh, um, right, my heart says uh, a 1-0 win to Annen, um midway through the second half and we we cling on for dear life and get a famous victory. My brain says it's probably likely to be a a, a you know a 2-0 routine win for aberdeen in the end but i still think it'll be uh, a mouthwatering uh, in, encounter as you said it's it's probably a, a new, well it is it's a new one for you guys to 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 come to a new ground and i suppose you know with the with the amount of fans that you have in the central belt it's probably not the nightmare journey that everybody thinks it's going to be for you
0: certainly not for a lot of people absolutely definitely and um for those people though, who are making the journey from aberdeen it's um it's far from ideal but you know what it could have been a lot worse um yeah i'm just surprised that the tv cameras i'm surprised premier didn't decide to show this one um i say i'm surprised i'm really not obviously they are <laughs> yeah. always going to pick range and selig but i would have thought on the face of it it was one of those that you know it was a no-brainer to pick up um there's always that opportunity isn't of a, of a giant killing and all that kind of good stuff mm. so listen i love that the fact you were really specific about your prediction though i love it like, <laughs> right there midway through the halftime uh, second half that's how it's gonna go listen mate really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the podcast no give us the uh, an oversight into and athletic what we can expect on tuesday evening and it goes without saying obviously that apart from tuesday night obviously we wish you all the very best Anne, and for the season ahead
4: yeah no likewise uh I hope you have a great trip, or not too great. Uh, But, um, yeah, good luck for the season ahead. Uh, And, yeah, thanks for having me on. Not a problem. Colin, much appreciated. Cheers, mate. See you later.
1: Which of us predicted that Annan would win League Two?
0: Can't remember. I feel that might have been you. Could have been me. It might have been after speaking with Colin. It wasn't after speaking with
1: Colin. I said Stranraer. Graham said Forfer. So
2: it was you. One of you also said Nguyenia was going to be the breakout star of the season it was gavin wasn't it i don't recall that i thought it was both of you actually
0: could have been there's a very good chance
2: i
1: don't recall that i also don't recall predicting COVID would get promoted
0: you definitely promote you definitely predicted that don't recall um, that. <clears throat> anyway after uh, listening to the chat with colin and just generally i guess gents your thoughts on tuesday night uh obviously it's a massive game for us i mean you you don't want to you know it, it sounds a bit silly saying a game against Annan is massive but it really is in terms of our progression in the Cups this season you can only beat the teams who are put in front of you In on the face of it it's the best draw we could have possibly got at this stage Annan are the lowest ranked team left in the draw, the only way we could have been better is if we'd drawn them home, uh, Graham obviously you're heading down to deepest darkest is it Dumfries and Galloway as classed as? I think it is yeah,
2: yeah I think it will be
0: um yeah, I mean, what, what are we, what are we I guess, hoping for and what are we expecting on, on Tuesday evening?
1: Uh, Well, what we're hoping for is not to be embarrassed. Listen, I mean, even at, at the time of the draw, it was the best draw we could have gone. Obviously, um, they were the lowest ranked team. As it stands, they're one place off being the lowest ranked team in the SPFL. It's pretty ideal circumstances. Um, Just got to believe we're going to go down here and impose ourselves as the professional outfit that I have spent more than a few quid putting together a squad. Um, We're in a good, feel like we're in a good place. I think we've put the motherwell defeat to bed. It's a huge game for the simple fact that we want to win trophies. And the only way we can do that is to win each round. Um, I hope, and I expect that we'll make a pretty, pretty quick work of an, and we can get some of our maybe fringe players, get some, get them some minutes to, impress and show what they can do and then we can progress and look forward to the quarter
2: finals I would agree with all that ideally we would uh, do a bit of a number on them and it'd be a great game to watch score a few goals and we'll enjoy it It doesn't really matter if we do that or not we just need to win Um, it's that simple you know we've said plenty of times the best chance of winning anything for Aberdeen unfortunately these days is the is the cups, so this represents the next stage in that quest, so we just need to get through it basically um, and then selfishly hoping for serious collapse in the petrol price because I'm going to go through a, a lot of it and no roadworks because it's going to take me forever to get there and back Are we Are we venturing predictions here? 3-0 2? 3-0 I
1: believe that we all win this game it's good, Gavin, you believe you'll win this game. 5-0. 5-0, nice
0: no. okay, 5-0. No. Uh, I'm going to say it'll be a little bit trickier than people are imagining. It's uh, Astro, quite a tight stadium, and it'll be well up for it. Uh, I'm going to say Aaron nil Aberdeen 3. Aberdeen eventually kind of really started to turn the screw second half. I feel
1: like the word stadium is doing a lot of heavy lifting there.
0: Well, arena... <laughs>
1: Um and also Hope uh Quas Pump Rangers. Well,
0: yeah, that goes without saying Gavin, but not necessarily it's... an expectation. Yeah. Anyway. Tom um,
1: Richie to do fuck all
0: on the bench. Let's um let's move on from that. Let's let's look at the Ross County game then. Um on Saturday, which sees obviously our first trip of the campaign to Dingwall. I've got the fear already to face Mad racist Malky Mackay's Dross County. County coming to this one 11th spot on the table played 5-1-1 drawn none lost 4 their latest outing in the league was a 4-0 humping at Mordor on Saturday it's fair to say that that one could have ended I was going to say in an entirely different matter but in an entirely different manner even but let's be honest the referee would have just evened things up anyway but um, the referee makes a howling decision not to send the boy Jimmy Sands off after 10 minutes for hauling back and I'm going to get this name horrendously wrong. Uh, Jordi Huwula <laughs> Meafula Games nil nil at that point. Try so that you, one again. No, that'll do me. Um <laughs> games nil nil at that point. It's, it's ten minutes in. It, it it could put a different complexion on the game, couldn't it there?
2: Yeah, it might have only been 3-0. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I, the boy should have been sent off in my opinion. And it I feel all it would have done is delayed the inevitable, but you're you're still right. It would have it would have changed the atmosphere a bit. I can't see Ross content yeah. how Ross County would have got anything out of that. It's a Freudian anyway. slip there, Graham. Yep, yep. Pure accident. Oh. Um but again, you know, it does little side issue around general state of the officiating. Um two slam dunk yellows and he gets away with it. Yeah. Robertson would have evened up as quickly as he could have.
0: Yeah, of course he could have. Yeah, absolutely.
2: It wouldn't have made any
0: difference on the result. No, I don't think so. Um, for Ross Kelly defeats this season to St Mirren, Hearts and Celtic. In fairness to Ross County, like, they're, they, they, they're sitting 11th in the table, but it's not exactly an easy start to the season. And their first five is uh, Hearts-Celtic Rangers. And St Mirren, who are, who are flying all of a sudden, um, who'd have thunk it? Their only win so far this season has come in the last home game. They had a 1-0 win against Kilmarnock, um, which some people might say marred by, let's just say was enhanced by a couple of... um,
2: Interesting challenges. You want to talk about officiating. A a couple of
0: interesting (laughs) tackles. yes, exactly. Um, You know, uh, my favourite one of those is actually the second. I know I said the last time I was Calhoun, so it's the second one I I got mixed up with who Calhoun was. It's the second one, purely because of Derek McInnes' reaction to it, where he just hands on the head and crouches down, and uh, that's just funny, his bits, that bit Um, anyway, Ross County obviously finished last season in six um, after they had that last minute winner at Petaudry in the last match before the split, lots of turnaround in the county squad from last season, I guess the most notable departures out the seven who left in the summer are Blair Spittle, who went to Motherwell and last season's joint top scorer in the league, Reagan Charles Cook no particularly recognisable players have come in, not anyone you would kind of no, unless you happen to be scouring football managers' regencies. Owura uh, Edwards, on loan from Bristol City, seems to catch the eye on the opening day of the season against Hearts, but I've not really seen a, an awful lot out of him so far after that. Generally, they're playing in a 4-2-3-1 this season with, um, I'm going to try it again, Hewula, <laughs> Hewula leading the line for Ross I think he wears number 19. We'll call him number 19 from now on. The the dreaded number eight. No, no,
1: no, 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 no. There already is a number 19 on this
0: show. Can't have two. Who's that?
2: The original number My favourite Aussie. Yeah. You can refer to him as Ross County's number 19.
0: Ross County's number 19. (laughs) I wonder if he complains about there being no beaches in Dingmo.
2: Nah, he doesn't seem like an (laughs) arsehole.
0: So for a team who scored plenty of goals last season, so far this campaign, they've definitely dried up for County. Just three in the league. Only one from open play, which places County tied ninth in the table for goals per match, not 0.6. Second bottom in the league on expected goals, 3.4 for the season, averaging only 2.2 shots on target per game. To put that into context, Aberdeen are currently sitting on 5.2 per game, so it's it's quite a big drop off there. They've conceded 10 goals in the league so far as well. That's the joint second worst record in the league alongside Kilmarnock. But a, a great distance away from the worst team quite a distance away from the worst team I mean, the worst team nearly doubled that tally just this <laughs> afternoon for fuck's sake um, ah, Jesus I saw, so My thing about that I thought was quite funny was, it's the United fans who decided that 8 was their limit Yeah, I didn't like When they mind. got up and left at 8, they were like, that's enough 8 was where I was below 8 I was okay with, above 8 I'm gone
1: Spare a thought for that scumbag that pushed Dojo by the way <laughs> yeah. What a, what a shame.
0: Exactly. Absolutely. Um Ross average possession, just 39.9% in the league, which plays in the fourth bottom, which is kind of similar to Livingston and, and similar to Livingston last week as well. They appear to be very happy to give up territory. Um Graham's looking at the screen as if like, what the fuck is going on this season? Gary's pulling graphics out of his arse to show us. Um, but looking at zones of control graphic for Ross County this season, they really <laughs> control their own box. The only area of the pitch they're holding the majority control is in their own box. Um, Every other area of the park is either in the main controlled by the opposition or contested, with one very small exception, which is this corner flag area high up on their left-hand side. I'm going to share this graphic on Twitter when we release the episode, if I remember to do it. I didn't do it last week because I'm an idiot. So one does wonder whether or not they might try and exploit us in behind Jade and Richardson there That would be up our right back area
2: It's okay, because we know where they're going to be This is
0: true, it, hopefully we've invested in
2: Well you just defense. have a quick look Are they all in their box? No, shit, right Richardson, they're all on you <laughs> Roll the corner flag <laughs> Roll at the corner flag, exactly Trying some sort of wacky routine
0: So you know, again, they look very, very happy To just give up territory across the pitch um, Similar to Livingston as well They're not one for the high press um, The second least pressing side in the league Behind Livingston, averaging a PPDA. Gav, what does PPDA stand for again? PPDA? Yeah. Uh, that is passes per defensive action. There we go. Well done, Gav. You remember his acronyms. He's all about the hashtag date of the season. Absolutely. Uh, Ross Cowie's PPDA of the season, 5.2. Like I say, it places them second in the lead behind Livingston for this. Livingston on 16.9. This means basically the number of passes they will let you do before they actually decide to come engage you. They're the joint lowest... A little bit like, a little bit like your team at five on Thursday. There was a lot of pressing going on. <laughs> Just in the wrong areas. <laughs> Which bit did you control?
2: Which bit did you control if you had that little map up? I was in that little corner flag area. Just going back to this PPDA nonsense. Yeah. yeah. Does that mean County have to employ someone with a calculator to say, okay, we've hit So yeah, Malky is basically standing on a touchline with a calculator,
0: typing racist jokes into it, I imagine. <laughs> um and then it hits fifteen point two and he's like you can tackle them lads. Hey hey um, no, now he didn't he didn't send all of those racist
1: jokes remember that he didn't send all of them. Yeah. No. <laughs>
0: okay well that's how. is that
1: not someone's um someone in the media's defence of Marky McGuire that's got that's probably fucking Graham
0: Spears is it? Uh, I don't want to name names but yes. Speaking of Graham Spears, I mean we might as well go down this rabbit hole now. <laughs> Talk about not mystery. the best. Not not
1: the best decision. I already know where it's going. I'm just going to put my stance there now. <laughs> not the best decision.
0: <laughs> not the best decision by whom? Everyone. <laughs> Everyone associated with this. Yeah. I mean, just, just why? I don't understand this. I I honestly don't like. I I I genuinely don't even care about the fact that if if no if if they don't want to do a uh, a Cormac segment interview whatever with uh a fan podcast of the club. Could, they could do it with, with the red tinted glasses guys, whatever. I couldn't give a shit. The fact that though they're, they're willing to do uh one with Spears, then publicize a Spears podcast. You know, let's let's not try and pretend. Others. Spears has got no love for Aberdeen. The only positive thing Graham Spears has ever done in my life was that piano segment on Scotsport all those years ago. Um, publicize that, it. it's back to- in the glory days of Sarah O. Yes, it you know, and that, that boy was that the other islands? jabroni
2: that was on the boy from the islands. Aye, the boy, but it wasn't even the main one, it was the boy's brother who beat in Big Brother
0: Cameron from Big Brother's brother.
2: Aye, yeah, it wasn't even the real <laughs> quote unquote celebrity, it was his brother.
0: Remember as well, they did a segment, at, um, I think it was East End
2: Park. Remember, they did like who could throw the ball? The yeah, further. it's just what I was going to say.
0: Oh, the throw-in, That was like a weekly thing. The throwing yeah. challenge. They went to each club every week to do see who could do the longest throw-in. But they went to like the Furman and they yeah. got no, they got no hunt out. I think to do it, and yeah. you, you literally could not understand a word he was saying.
2: Yeah, wh- wh- who? The boy from the islands, or no? Both of both of them. It was like
0: the weirdest like thing ever. Going when they finished that first episode with Graeme Spears playing the piano, it's just like what is going on. And more disappointed, they never came to Petology to test out Seve for the long throw. That's true. Who did we put up for the long throw? It they never like came Chris to Aberdeen? Ma- no, they did, but we put up, like, a right jabroni. It was, like, Chris Maguire or something. I
2: don't recall. That. I
0: don't I recall don't them actually that. coming to Aberdeen for that They part. definitely came here. Or they just decided after, like, six weeks. You
2: September. wouldn't remember, because it was on TV. They came up here, like, Sunday at 12 or something like that. That's true. So That's you true. wouldn't have known. Um, yeah,
0: just, I just didn't, an all-round bizarre thing to do, especially because it's hidden behind a paywall. So, you know, at a time where we talk about people having, you know, cost-of-living crisis not all that kind of shit, you're then telling Aberdeen fans you need to go pay more to listen to the chairman talk. Just a bad move all-round. That's all I'm going to say about that one. Um, especially because Graham Spears is a fucking fanboy of big old racist Malky Mackay. So, fuck that guy. Fuck Malky Mackay. Need we say more? Exactly. Um yeah, going back to um county, their style, it's its hard to get a feel about what they're actually trying to do this season by looking at the data. And, and obviously, I don't watch a lot of, of draw county because why would I? Um, but looking at their data, they've got the lowest direct speed in the attack of any side in the top flight. So, this is the speed at which they progress the ball upfield. There's not 0.99 meters per second on the graphs, you'll see. It's literally just on the, the, the Which one's the Y and the X axis I can never get this right Graham's the accountant
1: what? I would I would imagine he would do I those was... kind of things
0: The horizontal uh, axis, what would that be? X, is, X is horizontal, isn't it? Uh, let's go with that So on the X axis, I don't know Graham's looking at me as if to be like What the fuck's going on?
2: I completely lost all train of thought here just trying to get my head around having visual references on a podcast because generally speaking, <laughs> that doesn't work. Doesn't
0: work. We've, we've so apologies
2: this. to anyone who listens to this. Gary decided that having graphs on a podcast was the way to go. No, I'm just trying to like, I'm just trying to talk through when you look at the graphs what
0: it looks like. I'll share it later on if I remember to do it when the pod goes out so people can see it. I'm, um, just, I'm just trying to think what our speed, what's the term, direct speed in attack
1: would have been when Scott Brown was playing centre midfield. It would have been a negative number because the ball had to keep <laughs> <up> going backwards. <laughs> it's going backwards then <laughs> into David Bates and the
0: attackers now got it. Yeah, um, the, um, the 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 Ross County direct speed graph—it's like, basically flatlining across the horizontal axis. Like <laughs> axis, it's like just what's going on, which would kind of indicate normally that that's a team who are just happy to knock the ball around, kind of be patient with it and wait and see what happens. But then they're not exactly putting together big passing sequence. They've got an average of just, wait for this, 2.35 passes per sequence this season. That's right. Think about that for a second. That's their average passing sequences this season. Consists of 2.35 passes. And then
2: what? They lose it.
0: Yeah, basically. You would think, yeah, they either lose
1: it or they shell, or they shell it. Shell and then it. That, that doesn't explain the... Direct speed
0: attack. <laughs> well, but unless they're shelling it and then it's not being picked up by one of their players. Ah, I see, right. Okay. Okay. They've only put together 17 sequences in five league games this season so far. They've only put together 17 sequences that have had more than 10 passes in it. So it's hard to work out what they're actually doing. Um, Aberdeen, for comparison, we've had 40 sequences this season which have had more than 10 plus passes in it. County, this is similar to what we spoke about with the Livingston Boys last week as well. They've only had one attack this season that's had 10 or more passes, which has ended with a shot or a touch, even just a touch in the opposition box. It's extremely, extremely hard looking at the data to work out what the fuck Ross County are trying to do this season. What they'll probably end up doing is probably pull our pants down and dingle on Saturday <laughs> and, and, and go up Brazil 1970, Ajax 95 on us. But, I mean, it's a lot to unpack there. Don't get me wrong. I know there's a lot to unpack in that data set. But, I mean, let's put the data to one side, maybe even potentially. Just what are your thoughts, what are your predictions ahead of the trip to Dingwall on Saturday? Other than Gary blowing his chunks. (laughs) By the time we've reached Huntley on the train. Are you boys planning on visiting the Wimpies in the Dingwall area? I think I might need to visit the Wimpy just to try and, like... Multiple
2: times, hmm. possibly.
0: Make it to the game. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Putting
1: aside all the all the graphs and all the data and all the validity of that holds when they show up looking like Pep Guardiola's Barcelona and uh, players off the pitch, um, I feel we've been here before last year when we talked about teams that are in horrendous form and don't like can string a pass together, and then we go up there or go to their ground and they then take us apart in quite embarrassing <laughs> circumstances. So. Um, it's going to be such a cliche the whole season. I think I'm going to say this almost every week, but I think this is going to be another test of where we are as a team. you know, County gave us problems, um, in every fixture we played with them last year. Um, they also were a very different team. Charles Cook, um, was a big player for them in the attacking areas. Blair Spittle in midfield. And also the guy, um, Joseph Hungbo at left back was a, a good player for them. Um, when it came yeah. to set pieces and scored that decisive penalty in the, in the final pre-split fixture that decided that Ross County would be a top six team. Jesus Christ. Um, It's just got to believe though that yeah, we're, they've had a difficult start to the season. They've obviously played the top three from last year with only one win against um, a Derek McInnes Kilmarnock team. And you can say they were fortunate to maybe win that game and not be down nine men. Um, I think it's going to be difficult I think it always is in Dingwall and any time I've been there. any um, anytime I can think of us going there since Ross County have been in the league, um, it's always a difficult place to go. But yeah, I think again, it's just it's the same story we'll probably repeat all week or all year. It's like you want to you kinda gotta believe that when it comes to budgets and that, and just looking at the teams, you know, you look at them side by side. I do believe that we've got a better group of players than Ross County do. And if we want to be successful and do what we want to do in the league, you know, hearts are looking pretty consistent so far. Um, obviously They got a good win today off the back of the game on Thursday. I think we just need to go here and get the win, whatever way it looks really. Um And I think we have options to really hurt Ross County, Um, even, even if that's not necessarily starting 11. You know, I think there's plenty of options off the bench and hopefully come the game on Saturday, we'll have uh, maybe even one or two more that we can look at and enhance our team. So I'm hopeful and positive about us going there and getting a really good result.
2: Yeah, pretty much same boat. Uh, um, I would say we need to win. You know, we were talking about, is that? I feel like every game this season is a measure of how we've come on from last season. We've probably had... It's probably a bit of a mixed bag If we were to look at our record there Over the last few seasons I've seen us win there a few times I've also seen us not perform particularly well um, A few times as well So I reckon we need to win it You really need to be picking up points These kind of places To get us going through the league I am optimistic I know we played 10 men against Livingston But going back to points Trying to make early around build confidence and everything in the team I reckon we will get through the game. I don't think it'll be I'd be surprised if we kind of swap them aside. So I would maybe say two one would be my guesstimate. I reckon we'll do it. It may or may not be the most exciting game of football, but it's important that we can just pick up the points and just keep just keep going. Cause I do th- I know their position's not very good in the table so far. But you look back the last couple of seasons, and I wouldn't say it's an easy three points for most teams going there so i'd expect teams to drop points so if we can get the three points i feel like that might be quite useful come the end of the season Ross Carrier Dingle a ding was a bit of a funny once as they came into the top flight well you know in
1: the both spells i i want to say that we've generally speaking done well there i can think of games where like you know shea logan or danger man mark Reynolds have just scored decisive goals but at the same time you always have that thought i remember our first trip there or at least Myself and you, Graham, where I think we got beat 2-1. Yeah. Um, there was a 4-0 scudding that obviously kind of put the final nail in the coffin Yeah. for Dan at McInnes. And yeah, last year, I mean, it was 1-1, I think, last year at Dingwall.
2: I think it was because I think we went, yeah, it must have been January
3: or
4: yeah. early
2: February. Bajauan had just signed. I think we went 1-0 up and then uh, obviously fell apart. Johnny Hayes scored a... And then yeah, Callahan scored an
1: equalizer, I and mean, and we were yeah. pretty horrendous that day as well. Yeah. Um, so
0: yeah, it's a difficult place to to know what to expect, and it'll be a test. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm just looking at it because it's interesting you brought it up thinking it's um, historically a good place to us. It played thirteen in the league, Won six drawn two lost five. So it's not potentially as happy hunting ground as you might think. And We have suffered some real fucking doings at Dingwall. There was the 4-1 um, the season where uh, McInnes eventually got emptied which was the one that probably stands out the biggest I think out of those ones there. it's it, I, I'm the same. I kind of felt like Dingwall was actually a relatively happy hunting ground but looking at those again now it's like eh. we've had some good results up there but we've had some stinkers as well. Yeah I mean I can remember that
1: first game especially the Craig Brown might have still been in charge at that point and it was a pretty bleak affair um yeah difficult they've yeah they've not had a great start but pains you to kind of say it Malky has made them generally speaking a pretty difficult team to to beat um it does seem like they're a lot it's a very different dynamic to their team this year obviously they were pretty free scoring last year and this season they're not um they're much more in the stevie may uh frame of goal scoring I, I loved who was it? Who's the clown on the radio today? I think it was Alan Preston talking about how important it is that Stevie May scores one once every three games for St. Johnson to be successful. <laughs> uh good one, Alan. Good luck. Good luck, last one. Um yeah, yeah. I think again, it'll, it'll be difficult. Um, but I believe I believe we're gonna beat Aaron on Tuesday. And I think we're gonna carry that positive momentum through and yeah once more make a real statement of where we are as a team and I think we're going to get a win there
2: Yeah, let's hope the toughest part about Saturday is Gary finding something suitably hipster to drink It's going to be tough, isn't it? It's going to be tough I might just
0: take my own supply
2: It's going to be tough and or hilarious when you saunter up to the bar to get, I don't know, some sort of locale vegan pale ale or something <laughs> Gluten-free Glead and free. Yep. yep.
0: You can get your own round. And
1: the op- the option of a tenants with a line was presented.
0: Yeah. I feel like I'm being really, you know, harshly mischaracterized on here, you know that I really do.
2: Uh, no, accurately portrayed is what you meant to say.
0: Fair enough. Um yeah, does the mallard sell a cheeky little porter, which is cigarettes and coffee? What was that again, Gav? Oh, um, that was
1: yeah, it was Brew Dogs, just cigarettes and coffee. That was the name of the beer. Yeah, was that was called cigarettes and coffee? It, yeah. it was literally tasted like an ashtray. It was. It was absolutely disgusting. Terrible. But it got better the more you drank it.
2: Things generally do. I reckon you'll get cigarettes and coffee and ashtray if you ask there. <laughs> I
0: think you definitely will. Absolutely. So you might be okay actually. Yeah. Let's shift on to just. Uh... I mean, t- I mean, to be fair,
1: Graham, you're also not going to get any like you know. Lime green apple sours beers, yeah, exactly. To you. No, no. I'll be
2: all over the vitamin tea and then probably <laughs> it'll be all over me later on in the evening.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, come on,
0: predictions quickly.
2: I said 2 1, so I'm sticking to that
1: for Ross County. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say that we're gonna keep another clean sheet and we're gonna get a battling 1 0 victory. A
0: decisive goal from Luis Lopez. I'm gonna go. 3 1 Aberdeen. Uh, unfortunately, our, our clean sheet record will come to a halt, but it uh, goes from. I'm going to say the same. I say Duke's going to get one. And I reckon. Uh, Miofsky. It's got to be Miofsky, isn't it?
1: Where's number nine scores all the time?
0: There we go. Let's move on. And that wraps up this half of the ABZ Football Podcast. Join us after the break for part one of our interview with Chris Clark. The ABZ Football Podcast is proudly sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Each Saturday throughout the month of August, Siberia are bringing you the very best of Aberdeen's musical talent onto their terrace in the sun. Hopefully. Join them as DJs, acoustic acts and more take to the stage. And as the bar is only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop to Patondra Stadium, it's the perfect place for pre- and post-match pints. And even better, head to the bar. Quote the phrase ABZ pod as ABZ pod for a £3 pint of Fosters, £4 pint of Moretti or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Before we get on to the interview with chris clark which like is to give a shout out to mal jim and jeff who've made contributions to the FP beer and coffee fund this week we see you your bread's appreciated if you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffees head over to ko-fi.com forward slash abz football podcast the link is in the description shout it's a beer or a coffee it is very much appreciated isn't it boys
2: yeah definitely thanks to Anyone who takes the time to listen to this nonsense and for those that can chuck a couple of quid away, it is much appreciated. Yep, getting a
1: beer in, it's always appreciated. Hint, hint to uh, the living
0: lads. (laughs) Good boys, eh? Good boys. Yeah, really enjoy their company. Good good lads, good lads. Um, We'll hopefully try and get through some of those boys for the return fixture in, I can't remember when it is, December sometime, I think. We'll look at that in, in more detail near the time, I guess. We're also ramping up our fundraising activities for the season ahead. First of the three of us committing to run, cycle and crawl to 2,261 kilometres that represents the distance between Aberdeen and Gothenburg by the 11th of May, 2023 to mark the 40th anniversary of our famous victory over Real Madrid. If you'd like to make a donation, which will see funds split 50-50 between Aber Necessities and the AFC Heritage Trust, please head on over to justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash abz football podcast again the link is in the description I feel like we've we've talked a lot already tonight so let's maybe skip the how far we've done graham and Itho smashed in a good what was it 25 clicks I think it was Graham on Tuesday night
2: yeah it was I a decent distance
0: I cried around the back end of Inverurie and so on and so forth not bad at all
1: how very sweet
0: it was it was lovely it was nice um the the, the fog started to come in it started to rain it was it was a beautiful moment.
2: Just in into you, Gal, for not being there, so it was great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, our ABZFP Fantasy Football League is back on the Fantasy Football Scotland app. you find a link to our league in the main landing page or you can use the code ABZFPL to join. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm running I, out of time to look at this tonight.
1: I had a beauty of a week. Triple captain, Boyan Miofsky.
0: I suspect I had a terrible week because I had Dundee United players in it.
1: 104 points for
0: years, I had 105
2: points. I can't believe it, because everyone,
1: of course, has Kyogo, so...
2: Yeah, Meofsky's my captain, and Jota's my vice-captain.
1: I don't have Kyogo.
2: So. I assume that
1: people either have, like, Kyogo or
2: Abada, or something like that
1: got around, so... Yeah, I do have a couple of Dundee United players, though. It's, it's probably been the worst 104-point week I could have imagined.
2: Yeah, they, I'm tied for 149th, so although... That's a good week. That probably means everyone else had a couple of those guys in there as well, so it sort of negates it a bit. It does seem that way. I
0: I don't know. I've got this new phone and I haven't set up yet. So
2: um i professional.
0: I Unless one of you can tell me where I am right now. Nope. Nope. Excellent. And I do have a I did have a a nice little bonus with Lawrence
1: Shankland being brought into my team and he he might not believe in COVID, but he believes in scoring
0: penalties. Let's move on from that one just now. Last week we announced the very first of our live events. This time in the form of a Dons slash Aberdeen themed pub quiz taking place at Siberia Bar and Hotel on Balance Street in Aberdeen on Thursday, the 13th of October, kicking off at 7 p.m. Let's be honest, boys, we we'll look looking forward for an evening of beer, fun, plenty of Dons chat. We've got a special guest who's going to make an appearance on the night as well we've got a bundle of prizes um hopefully for our winners and losers to enjoy do we we're gonna work on it <laughs> and we never said they were goods. we're just there's gonna be some tickets have been selling proverbial hotcakes some remaining though head over to eventbrite and search for abz football podcast or check out our twitter there's a pinned post there or the description on the podcast episode there's a link to the ticket site Tickets for 12 quid ahead, included in that price though is a bowl of nachos per person from our host at Siberia. Boys, we're looking forward to this one, eh?
2: Yes, so to those of you who have bought tickets, thanks for calling our bluff. We might actually have to pull this off. And for those of you who are thinking about it and you maybe want to see us crash and burn, as a reason alone to snap up your tickets. Um, no idea what to expect, but yeah, jokes aside, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's kind of crazy that people are still hanging in and listening to this nonsense over a year down the line. And that people might pay actual cash money for a for a pub quiz. So you know it'd be good to. You hope at that point we're still going reasonably well, and there's just a sort of good atmosphere around. Everyone's enjoying the the football, and we can have a bit of fun with with the quiz and uh, just get a group of fans together, hopefully in high spirits, because hopefully we'll be smashing the league at that point.
1: Yeah, it's um it's something we've been talking about for a wee while now since we've. Uh... Been doing this show, and to make that uh, reality is quite something. Uh, we've got a really good guest lined up. Good me, a, yeah, a really really fun night. And yeah, like you say, you can get to see get to see us in person. You can decide which one of us we are based on how we look. Like you know, which one's the which one's the posh one?
2: The the one in the top hat. That's the posh
0: one. Somebody just messaged note, I saw saying, "Is this week's better than last week?" With some editing going on. Well, time will tell. No, not really. Um, (laughs) Last week was edited, for anyone that wants to know. Um, Think of what hit the cutting room floor there. (sighs) The people need content for this long drive to Annan, that's all I'm going to say. Exactly, and the way back, that's the other thing. And the way back, yeah. Now, it's time for the return of our series of interviews with Dawn's personalities of past and present. This time, part one of our chat with a man who came through the Don's youth system, making his first team debut in 2000, going on to make 278 appearances over two spells with the club, scoring 12 goals, smashing Alan Hutton once. It's Chris Clark. Chris Clark, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Yeah, good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, listen, hey, the the privileges is, is all ours. So, born in the Northeast, September 1980. Talk to us just a little bit about your upbringing and um, when do you remember. Really getting into football. Um, it's, it's probably the uh, you're, you're probably talking about primary
3: school, primary, primary three, primary four. Um, probably just as 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 many other footballers who have, have have gone on to play. They've always, most, the majority have started at a, a very young age. So um, yeah, I think you know my first. My first kit was a was an Aberdeen kit. It, well, saying that, it wasn't an Aberdeen kit. It was a it was just a red kit.
0: Okay,
3: and it was a. I think it was a. You know, when ASDA used, used to just do a basic kit, and I think it was the first one was just red. Um, and that was that was the start for me. Um, it was Aberdeen kits from from then on. Um, but I just just naturally played um, played football um for as long as I could uh, outside. Um, inside <laughs> um,
0: and uh, yeah just, just loved it uh, back in the day of like jumpers for goalposts, and you're, you're playing out there until the, your parents call you in type stuff I remember that with those days as well
3: yeah I mean you, you hear it so uh, you hear it so often um, but it generally was it was yeah. uh, I remember it was, it was tr- a couple of trees uh, uh, you know as, as posts c- crossing roads that you shouldn't be crossing just to play in a, an area um, and you know, just from a young age, just just playing until um, mm-hmm. it's dark. Um, but and I think that's where you know you you start your development really. Um, I, I can remember practicing on my own and the old kicking it off a wall. Right, you know, the old right you foot, left foot. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, and it was you know your mates. No one was going about, so it was just kick the ball about yourself. You know, luckily enough, it, it just progressed. Kick, playing for the school school teams and, and then you, and you progress up through through boys club
0: yeah and your boyhood team and your favourite player when you were growing up
3: well it was well, it was Aberdeen that was my that was my team um, you know from like again again from a young age and I think my earliest memories um, was the so watching Aberdeen and it was um, it was the 1990 Scottish Cup uh, final the penalty win mm-hmm. um, and you know when It was like Han, when we have got Hans Hill House, Charlie Nicholas, but then once we started to say, you know, Hans Hill House and growing up, it was uh, Ian Jess, yeah, <laughs> Ian Jess, and someone who I ended up playing with, which is uh, it's pretty special when you've grown up. And um, you know, he was a he was a northeast boy as well, so I sort of sort of related to him a wee bit, I think. Um, but there, there was always loads of players that I enjoyed watching for Aberdeen, you know, your Theos Snelders and, the and around about that time. Um yeah. but yeah, it was yeah, Hans Hill House was probably my, my favorite for your favorite. for quite some but yeah, yeah, for a while. Um that was that was what you know that age and then yeah sort of going, going on a bit further it was
0: it was Ian Jess really. Well I guess it's funny because you're kind of ages with the three of us on the show and mm-hmm. which means you're kind of the age where you miss the real glory days of the early to mid 80s it's the kind of back end if you're lucky enough you catch and yeah even then that that late 80s early 90s team you likes so of even like you know Jim Bet, Theo, yeah. Paul Mason, Ian yeah. Jess obviously is the, the the one that everyone from this neck of the woods will always talk about some absolutely super players and you like you say you got the, the privilege of actually playing alongside Ian as well when you broke into the first team we'll maybe come back to that a little bit mm-hmm. later on but let's just just talk to us a little bit Chris about your kind of youth career and making the step into the Aberdeen youth setup at the time.
3: Well I was I was um I can remember the day that I, I was playing for my boys club it was Devon Side Boys Club so mm-hmm. again there was a that was my connection with with the NGS as well because he of had course. come through Devon Devon Side Boys Club Um so I was traveling I was traveling from you know Elgin through to Banff, which you know even just to play Boys Club, and you know we were playing in the Aberdeen League mm-hmm. um, for Devon side, and um, yeah, it was uh, just playing. And I think I remember at the time um, the chief scout uh, Jimmy Carl Carswell had uh, approached our our manager says look, we'd like to uh, Chris to come in and, and train. So um, and at that time uh, they'd actually watched me about seven or eight times. It wasn't just a, a one off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, so that, you know, that time, I think they were very, very selective. I think now the, the, the club have, you know, that they've, uh, extended their network, I suppose. And I don't think they're, uh, they wouldn't want anyone to slip through from, from, uh, especially the Aberdeen area mm-hmm. and, and so you know, um, surrounding areas, but it was, yeah, I can remember the managers, you know, the boys club at 13, uh, just call me down to the bus, say, oh, look, we've been approached by Aberdeen, and if they go through, and at that time, it was a case of, of going through to Aberdeen to train for the week during Easter yeah, um, um, and the summer uh, holidays, and it was only for one week. That was, that's you know, Monday and Friday, and that was that was the only time that we're, we were in training, and so, yeah, that was I, – I, I was um, – actually invited down to Derby County at the same mm-hmm. time um, and they I was down there three times um, and yeah they wanted me to move down at 14 years old mm-hmm. um, but I was already training with Aberdeen mm-hmm. so there was only one way <laughs> that it was going to go and it, you know at, at 14 how could you move away um, so I, yeah I wanted to be at, at Aberdeen and, and luckily enough I, I, was, I became a schoolboy signer
0: during your your time in the in the youth setup at Aberdeen, who do you think would have been your your biggest influences?
3: I think um, you know at the time you you know you're going in and you it was you had Drew Jarvie and and uh, and, and Neil Cooper as, as part of the of the mm-hmm. setup of the of the youths. So and we 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 had a small squad of schoolboy signings. You know there was only there was only maybe about fourteen of us. Who who came together from Glasgow, um, one from Shetland. Uh, I was the only one from from sort of Elgin. There was a couple Dundee. So there was only a small group of us. Mm-hmm. So and we got to see when we were in training for the week. We got to see the the full time youth players. So you were around them. Mm-hmm. So I think just seeing how they went about things and and what it was like to be a full time player. I think that. That really pushed you on to become, you know, a a, a full time player. If that 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 was the aim, um, and the majority of us did uh, go on and and and, and turn full
0: time, um, straight from school. Absolutely, one of the lucky ones. I remember my week wasn't to be for me. <laughs> uh, Chip McClellan decided I was too weak. To be fair, he was probably right. Um, I don't think I grew <laughs> after the age of about twelve or thirteen. Anyway, so he was probably right on that count. Um. It, but yeah. it, was,
3: it, it was very common. It was. Yeah. I can always remember. It was very. I remember being how nervous you were because you you were training from Monday and you got to Friday afternoon and everyone knew how it went. Uh, it was in the referees room and you had everyone lined up because there was obviously boys in just trialing and you had to. You're more or less called in one at a time and I I always I can remember the feel because you the boys would be coming back in and you could just tell by their face that they yeah. weren't getting stay on um you were maybe one of those players coming back in, you know but that's that it happened so yeah. often right but then you just wanted to hear and then you know if you're going on Easter say right we'll see you again in summer and that that was all and you just went back and played with your boys club so yeah. you know you were still still a school boy signing but let's like say there was a small group of us it was very very selective um you know a number of Aberdeen boys but there was only a small group of us and we never saw one another apart from the holiday time.
0: Yeah. Um, well, there we go. On this call, it's a 50% success rate. That's pretty good, I think. So, you
3: know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, no. It, it, and and often it was a very, you know, same. it was the same message that was, was given was you're just not quite ready. Yeah. Um, you're too small. Uh, we'll keep an eye on you. Uh, now, whether that, ever happened, I've got to be honest. I, I doubt it, but um, yeah, I, I
0: don't know how many scouts they had at that time. I think as well it's fair to say, um, I'm not going to give away names or, or boys clubs or anything here, but it's, I think it's fair to say that our boys club manager at the time probably burned a lot of bridges after that that week because um, I think from recollection there was maybe four or five of us from the same boys club at it and... None of us, none of us got picked. And to be fair, out of the five, I would have been the worst there anyway. <laughs> um, but there was good players on that side. Um, guys like Paul Lawson, who obviously went on to play it. Um yeah, yeah. He was who was Celtic youth captain for a while. Guys like Paul were part of that setup, and you know, it's fair to say there was a, there was some choice words I think the chick had from our voice club manager afterwards. But hey, there we go. These are one of these things that happen, and um that's what it is. And it's still
3: it still happens now, yeah. as I'm sure you're aware. It, it happens at every club. Absolutely. Um, you know, um, and but now it's happening at a younger age, than yeah. 14 years old, or yeah. or you know 13, 14. So,
0: um, it's it's tough. It's uh, it's hard. It's brutal in, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's fast forward. This is not my my sob story. Um, <laughs> let's fast forward to 14th of July, 1998. It's a pre-season friendly. At Pitt Audrey against Peter Head, you come off the bench for the very first time for the first team replacing Craig Hignett. You were only 17 at the time, but were you kind of at that point hoping that Alex Miller would see you as being ready to be in and around the first team squad? Um
3: yeah, I mean I mean, and, and just going to, when you mentioned Craig Hignett there, he's probably the best player that I I watched mm. train and 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 got to play with at Aberdeen. I mean, he was just immense, but to go on and, and replace him and yeah, I can't. I can't really remember much about that match. But um, Alec Miller was, you know, like I say I was just a youth team player at that time, a young youth team player. Um, you know, I'd only been full time for a year after they'd come in to replace um, uh, Roy Aitken, and um, Alec Miller actually, you know, he, he said he said a couple of things to me that really that, that always uh, stay with me. You know, he he, he told me to. You know, I was quite a. I, I was. I was a small. I was, I was quiet, and he, he wanted me to to be more assertive, just off of the field, and be you know more confident. And um, so uh, he in a he had actually you know he had given me a, a three year contract at the age of you know, just just going into 18, 18 years old. So at that time, it it really it did fill you with a lot of confidence. Um, that that we were going to be part of the club moving forward uh, and a bit of security. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alec Miller, he I liked the way that he was in terms of his training and his technical. It, it, it was very tough, but just to be part of it, um, it, it sort of it inspired you to to go on and and be part of the, of the first team.
0: And as it is, as we all know, uh, Alex Miller gets sacked that season. Um, after a really lengthy process, it's Ebb Scofdale is, is the man who ends up coming and taking charge. And, well, it's fair to say that Ebb's first season is a struggle. That's a polite way to put it. But as we all remember, the Cups offer a lot of progress, and it's the Scottish Cup fourth round at Inverness that sees you make your competitive debut for the Dons. In the run-up to the game, had Ebb given you any indication that he was thinking about putting you in? At that time, we were still we were still playing um the the under twenty one
3: league was still in place so um, I had been playing you know regularly for the for the under twenty ones and I felt that my uh, my performances had been really consistent and that I was really enjoying it and um, we'd been training with the first we were training with the first team all the time so and a number of the number of the players that had come through the team were already in the on mm-hmm. the first team so to to be part of that uh, enjoying them in the in the first team and and be part of it was uh, yeah, it was exciting. But, you know, at that time it was very difficult because uh, at that time I think you could only have three subs mm-hmm. for the cup. Um, and so it was very, very difficult to get in a, you know, get a strip um, for the match day. Um, but I remember being being um, yeah up at
0: Inverness for, for that, um, that game. And you come off the bench with 14 minutes to go. Uh, the Dons are a goal down to the same Inverness side that had just knocked Celtic out in the last round famously at Parkhead. You are on the pitch for only four minutes when uh, you float a lovely cross into the box. Cato Guntwight nods in to scramble a draw. Can you remember your kind of thoughts coming onto the pitch to make your debut and then to play such a crucial role in the equaliser so quickly?
3: Yeah, it was, I, I, I can remember that really clearly as well because I remember warming up and um, we hadn't really. Inverness is such a big pitch uh, up at Cali and um, we hadn't really gone past, you know, won't really put any delivered any crosses into the box. And it's something that I really enjoyed doing. And I I always enjoyed playing on big pitches. Um and I remember watching the game and I, I can remember just I was a little bit nervous but desperate to get on. Um and the first thing the first thought in my mind as soon as I got the ball was I'm just going to take him on. Um and I just knocked the ball out of my feet, you know, and used my used my pace at the time and just just uh I lo- I liked to just I always loved sort of Crossing the ball, so uh, to see it go in, a uh, good header, um, and immediately I just felt, you just felt part of it, yeah. And when something like that happened straight away, um, so yeah, it was it was a nice moment.
0: It's not a
3: bad way to start, is it? Short scoring, yeah, yeah, short score. But uh, you know, I've uh, I've I've often you know spoken about it's I I always enjoyed setting up a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's something you know I wasn't I I didn't score. As many as I'd like to, um, but setting up a goal is—it uh, was something I always did from
0: a young age, um, and, and I was often playing wide as a, as a younger player anyway. Just talk to us a little bit about Eb. Um, obviously, Eb no longer with us, unfortunately, but he played such a integral part in so many young players at Aberdeen who he gave opportunities to. What was your relationship with with Eb like? Well, you know, obviously. Um,
3: He's, he's given me my debut. And, um, you know, my, before that, my first responsibility was to wash his car. Oh, really? Um, yeah. I, you know, being a youth team, I had passed and You know, I was I was driving my, my Fiat Punto and that was me. Um, he I think they saw me as sort of one of the sensible ones in the youth team. And I remember getting called into the office one day and uh, we had to, at that time, we still had to make the manager's tea, coffee, in the mornings. Uh, we all had to, you know, everyone had their jobs. And he, he threw me his car keys. And uh yeah, he's like, Go and go and get my car washed. Um, so you know and I'm sitting outside Petodre. I can remember sitting in his car and it was I'd never driven an automatic before. <laughs> so I'm sitting out I'm sitting outside Potodre and his big sab automatic and I I couldn't get the car to go. And, and you know, obviously you have got the little tray to pull off that set off the you know, release the handbrake. But I, I couldn't couldn't work this out. I don't know. <laughs> so that was me um you know a bit nervous uh you know driving the manager's car, sitting waiting for it to wash them back to go So but he, I think he yeah he was he was he was good with the young young players. I think he 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 believed in in what we could do. He liked pace in the team um and uh he was he was always he was he was quite straight with us all, um, and he but he brought a group of us through at the same time, which I think uh, you know
0: spoke spoke volumes about the the youth setup that we had at the club. It gives you a couple more runs out as a sub in the next couple of games a three one win at Dundee and then a one 0 defeat uh, to Motherwell before you kind of drop back out of the picture again uh, until the following season. Going into that, this will be the 2000-2001 season. Now, were you kind of really at this point hoping? Look, I've got a real. I've had a taste of the first team now. I really need to try and get myself broken through. Yeah, I think I think that was it. And um, and I think some of
3: the more experienced players in the team at the time, uh, I think they they were real sort of. They really pushed some of the younger players on. So and and you had no fears. We had such a strong youth team and, and young, you know, a good bunch of players that. We felt comfortable and um, we wanted to play every week, um, but at the same time, it can be very difficult for young players to be in a lot of young players to be in the team at the same time when when you're going through a bad spell. So I think looking back, maybe maybe he he realised that and that's why he, he would often you know pull players out. Um, but. Uh, it was just you know he, he changed so many things when he came in and it was it was quite refreshing for probably just you know players that are used to the scottish game uh for him to bring in his methods from from denmark and he'd been so successful i think you you'd be stupid not to listen you know
0: yeah absolutely
3: um so yeah saying as there was some there was funny moments he had a good sense of humor um some crazy times um but yeah, we 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 all we we went into games, you know, play, delighted to be playing with the players that we've grown up with. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of us, you know, we'd come through a, a very good youth team, and uh, we just unfortunately the results didn't go
0: um, always the right way. Aye. Speaking about experienced players in the first team setup, we'd had then, you must have a story or two for us about Ilian Kiryakov, who would have still been in and around the first team squad when you were breaking in.
3: Yeah, I mean, Ellen. I think Ellen at the time, you know, it was around right about the, the pre-season when you would you would go up and play against Huntley and, you know, you play a, a, a few Highland League teams, you go up to Keith and often at that time, I think we'd quite a, we had quite a large squad combined with the youth in the under twenty one. So, you know, occasionally there would be a game sort of every Every two days, or so the, the teams would get mixed and they would put some senior players away to hunt, you know. With and I can remember playing up at Huntley, and you know, it's it's one of those, it's those moments when you think Ilian's just you know, a few years ago, he's playing in the World Cup, you know, <laughs> you know semi final, and and you just see him. and he's, he, he had a Ilian was good with the young one, he, he wasn't, um, you know, he could he had a, a bit of a temper on him, but I think he was he always, uh, he was I think he was coming to the end. And I think he knew it as well, Elian. Um And, yeah, he was just, he was, a, he was a bit of a character. I remember us all being in, in Riley's, the youth team all being in Riley's and uh, playing a bit of pool in that afternoon. And Elyon had just been sitting there for the majority of the day, I think, on his day off. And, uh, you know, we're all sitting there and I can see him. He's just parked outside. We're looking down and he's parked outside on the double yellow lines. So he's just, that's where he's just decided to park. Not a care in the world. And we're shouting across, Ilian, you're getting a. A ticket, you know, traffic wardens there booking and we're looking out the window watching the traffic warden do it. And aliens just, we shouted over, and he just laughed, waved, and then off he went downstairs, leaving, waved, and we just watched him throw the car park ticket, uh, the parking ticket onto the and off he went. And it was that, you know, he just, he was, he's quite a laid back character, but he still, he still had so much respect for for what he had achieved, him and Sanko at the at the World Cup, and. You know, you get to play with these players. I remember watching them at the World Cup. So you know, um, when you get to be on the pitch with these guys, it's it's pretty special.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Harold Stavrum tells us about it, the the line Harold gave us was Ilian just kind of sat around eating towards the latter end. It was like he'd retired, but he just hadn't told anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what, yeah, that's what it, that's what it seemed like, you know. And I think it went on for quite quite a while, but
3: you know, it's you know, even in preseason, he just seemed to be like. Sort of letting things just just slow slow down a wee bit, and um, but he tried to play. You know, you could still t- still tell that he enjoyed playing. Um,
0: but yeah, it was just a, it, it was good to get yeah. get to share the pitch with him. A cult hero of that mid to late nineties period of time, I think it's fair to yeah. say. Oh yeah, I can remember them signing. You know, it was yeah. uh, it was huge, absolutely huge. A first full start comes for you in the league, a one 0 defeat away at Kilmarnock. and that starts to see you then start to take up a fairly regular place in the in the Don's starting lineup. You play in that mad five-three victory at Dundee United, which ends up also being Ian Jess's final goal for the club, although he he still was around for a few weeks afterwards. Just we spoke about Ian earlier on. Your memories of being in and around the same team as Ian, and and also what was the reaction like in the dressing room when he does leave the club later that season, with, especially with the way it kind of happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I I remember you know obviously just get
3: just coming into the team and, and playing with Ian, he was such a and, and and training with him, he was just such an he had a natural ability, which you know, but he was so sharp. Um, he was he was a thinker, you know. He was, he was so quick and he was he was always a few steps ahead of people. So just just to get to play with them, I was probably a little bit nervous, you know, because you you kind of you've grown up watching them, so you want to impress them as Mm -hmm. well, and not just him. You wanted to impress all of the experienced players. Um, You know, it wasn't just about impressing the manager. For me, I always wanted to impress my teammates. Um, I wanted them to have me in in their team. Um, You know, I I always I wanted them to have you know have me on the pitch. So um, yeah, to get get to play with Ian, and, and, and again, what he'd achieved, um,
0: you, 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 try and, you, you try and follow what they're doing. It's an improved season, actually. The Dons eventually finished in seventh spot. Uh, Although the Cups are a wee bit disappointing still. Out in the League Cup, third round to uh, the club formerly known as Rangers, and then out of the Scottish Cup via a fourth round replay at the hands of who were, at that point, our Cup bogey team, uh, Livingston. But was there a general feeling, can you remember, at the end of that season that we're kind of moving in the right direction here? We're starting to get some upward trajectory and upward momentum. Yeah,
3: I can't, I can't really, I've got to be honest, I can't really remember too much about that, That sort of the end of that season. Um, I think I was, I was, you know, pleased, pleased that I'd been involved uh, more often. Um, I, was, I think I was quite frustrated at times because I hadn't played when I felt that I... I deserved to be to be playing. Mm-hmm. Um but as a young player again you know we had a, probably quite a, a large squad at the time and and you know the managers maybe under a bit of pressure again he has to go with the maybe more experienced players so um yeah I can I can't really remember too much about the film, but it was just I think there's always that feeling where you know you can
0: do better. Mm-hmm. 27 appearances for you that season uh, 14 of which are starts so You're kind of starting to make that breakthrough. The start of the following season, again, the 2001-2002 season, again, you're in and out the first team a wee bit. You play at home in that, I I hate to bring this one up, the 6-1 defeat at home to um, Livingston in the League Cup. Can you remember much about that one, or is that just one you just go, you know what, that's one of those nights, just nothing goes right. I seem to remember their left back or their right back hit like a 35-yard screamer in the top corner, and it's just like, what do you even know about that?
3: Yeah, it, it was. I mean, it wasn't like um, <laughs> it sounds man. You've, you've lost the game six-one, but um, there wasn't that much in the game. I can't really remember us getting an absolute bar. and you know, it was weird. But you've conceded six goals, yeah. which should, you know should never happen. And it was just yeah, just a, a really bad bad night. And uh, I, I remember us having quite a, quite a few young players on the pitch at the end of the, of the match as well. And um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a
0: nice a nice uh, atmosphere around that time. No, definitely not. You then come off the bench against Rangers at Ibrox on the 4th of November, but then you're out of the team until I think it's about the January, which meant you missed a large chunk of that famous run of home wins that culminated in the Eugene Daddy crawl uh, against Celtic. Was that an injury issue? And for you, how frustrating also would it be to be out, to miss out on that run? Um, Got to be honest, I think it was a combination of just, yeah... Was, was must have been a
3: combination of injury um and, and just not being selected because i remember there was a period that was very low um i, I always struggled when i wasn't
0: playing okay
3: <laughs> you know man i find that i was such a very intensive trainer and uh' were not being selected in a in a squad and i thought you know obviously if you're part of a squad you, you feel part of it you might be on the bench you might come on but when you're not even Getting involved in the squad, I I, I really struggled with that, um, and and I can remember I wasn't really the type to, I was that, well I wasn't the type to to be knocking on the manager's door, um, and looking back, uh, I maybe should have um, been asking more questions at times. Um, I just I just didn't have that sort of uh, way about me, um, but yeah, maybe it's something I should have should have pushed a bit more. And if I, I can remember, really struggling around that time, uh, just just not being involved, and you start you start fearing the worst that you know the manager doesn't like me. I'm am on my way out. Um, but I think it, you know, like I say I was always a good trainer. I, I wouldn't let it bother me. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, it was never tools down. I just I just carried on. And then uh, and you know, I believe things happen for a reason, and you end up you end up back in. You know.
0: Yeah, definitely. To keep right. Absolutely, and. You come back off the bench, back in the, the squad against uh, Rangers at Potaudry in that infamous Saturday evening game that saw Robbie Winters pick up some extra pocket money while he was taking a corner kick. Um, <laughs> I don't think you were on the pitch when that incident happened. I think you were still on the bench at that point. But when the boys get taken in, I can't remember who the ref was that night. I want to say it was Mike McCurry, but I'm not sure if it was. When you get brought in to the dressing room after what's going on there, what's what's the chat in the dressing room about like, what's happening out there? No, I think I think
3: everyone just knows that it's 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 hostile. You know, you can sense it. You, you, you can sense it in the warm up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you can just sense it. it? But when certain things happen, um, you're not in control of it. You know, and you, you you've got to to remain focused. Um, but you know, you made me. You know, reminded me of going back to when we was younger. We were in um, primary school. we were invited through to to be the ball boys. Okay. Um, for uh, and it was an Aberdeen Rangers match, <laughs> and I can remember being the ball boy in front of the Rangers fans, nice. and uh, yeah, and we got absolutely pelted with uh, with coins. And um, this is true. I can remember we and it, it happens for all the ball, but we all collected the the money that was lying around the, the track, and that that paid. We stopped the Great Northern Road at the chip shop, and that paid for the whole bus for our, our food on the way home. And that was how many coins were thrown Aye. at the at the players. And that's, we were, well, primarily, must be 10 years old. Aye. Um, so that was one of the memories of, and that's my early memories of of Aberdeen Rangers, you know. Um, and I think that was, I think that was the match where Aberdeen won 2-1, Hans Hillhouse had scored. And I think it's when Terry Butcher had kicked the, a hole in the referees. In the door, door as well. As well, okay. so, uh, so much had happened. On that on that evening. So that's it, that's it. sort of early memories of Albertine Rangers at, at ten years old. Um the, the intensity of the match. I take it
0: the rounds were on Robbie that evening, then were they? Yeah, yeah just <laughs> I can't remember. I mean, it was just it's just Robbie's face you know. He's he's like sort of helped me, you know. Um
3: Robbie wasn't the biggest, but uh yeah, it was just yeah, there's there's nothing you can do, you ah. can get
0: out of the way and that's it. It's just it's 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 not good to see. And then You kind of start coming back into the team again towards the back end of that season. Uh, A 3-2 win, I think, at Dundee. And then on and off the bench, I think, as the season progresses, as Aberdeen get a return to European football. Um, The following campaign, though, is the one that really does see you break into the first team properly, I think it's fair to say. 30 appearances in total. A first-ever goal for the club on the opening day. That late, late, late winner at Easter Road. What do you remember about that one?
3: Yeah, well, uh,
0: that's... That's
3: my uh, I've got i I've got a nice picture of that moment when I've when I've scored. Um it couldn't have gone any better, you know, it's the opening game of the season, hibs away. And I came on, I think there was about 20 minutes to go. And um, you know, I think it was at the time Derek Young had gone down the right and it, it just slid a ball across the box. I came in late from the, the left wing and just managed to time it right, came onto the ball and and uh, managed to slide it home. Um but it was right in front of the Aberdeen fans, and to score your first goal, winning goal, first game of season, ninety seventh minute, ninety eighth minute, uh, and it just yeah, it was, it was chaos. Which yeah, I, I can remember it so clearly.
0: Yeah, in 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 modern football parlance, I think it's limbs is how you would describe the away end that, that day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah,
3: it was yeah. I said I've got I've got a great picture of them. Yeah, it was just. Your first goal, your first goal for Aberdeen. And, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd scored for the youth team, I'd scored for the 21s, but to go on and,
0: and then get your first goal, um, it was the winning one is, was special. Nice. That season ends up being a real mixed bag eh, for the team. The league form really drops off after exiting Europe at the hands of Hertha Berlin. But you were on the bench in the Olympic Stadium that evening. Talk us through just the disappointment in the dressing room after that one because we ran berlin really close over both legs and to put that into perspective for some of our younger listeners they'd spent something daft like 10 11 million quid on oh the lad's name the brazilian boy's name oh uh, yeah I, I, yeah
3: i know i know you're about to I, say, want to like, uh, I want to say marcelino
0: i want to say marcelino but i
3: think that's that wrong could, that, yeah it sounds brazilian i'll give you it. that was it they uh, spent that sort
0: of money they were they were spending loads of money in the bundesliga that season um how did that feel to run them
3: so close? I remember that because um, I was on the bench for the the home leg as well, um, and that was strange. That was like a five o'clock kickoff, yeah. Um, I think, and then uh, yeah, to go across there, and I remember, um, you know, I was I was glad at not getting on the pitch, um, but it was it was a close match. It was you know I don't I, I can't remember speaking many changes, but the team had played so well and did deserve something from the game. I think we're very lucky to go out, um, but just at that time, you see, you know, you go to that stadium, and I think they were already on, on with uh, developing the stadium for the, World was Cup. it the German, yeah, the World Cup, so yep. it was just the scale of the, of the stadium, and, and it, was, it was half empty, you know, just because of what they were doing, but... It was special. I think that's when you realise, you know, that that was the it. sort of being part of the the European nights, and you know, I'd I'd I'd, I'd managed to play in the, the Nistru games, yeah. Um, before that, so it, it was nice to be to. So I think that's why we, there was a little bit of disappointment with not playing the hertha, hertha Berlin games at all. But just to be just to be there and experience that, it was uh, it was
0: a, it was good. Do you remember the um, massive gas burners they had? Yeah, there. every time they got a corner kick, they just fired them up and it was like, What the fuck is going I remember being yeah. in the ground and be like, when it first happened, you're like, What the fuck is going on here? Like, yeah,
3: you could feel the you could feel the heat Yeah, um, from the bench. You could feel the heat off of that. It was um it was impressive, you know. But Mad. you know, and then, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and yeah, and now you can't get in with a, a plastic <laughs> bottle, you know. Um so yeah, it's uh yeah. That's it. Again, it just adds to it adds to an atmosphere and a stadium. Yeah. Um, and and it's something yeah, when you see the the German stadiums, the atmospheres they create. It's it's you know, it's
0: it's, it's, fun, it's fantastic. It was a fair surprise when they first went up. I tell you, for the kind of the drunk <laughs> slash hungover Aberdeen support that were there that day. It was just a moment of what happened there. Did you just see that? <laughs> All right, <cool>. Um Yeah. <laughs> Moving on, is a 2 1 defeat away to Park Thistle in the league. That sees Eb Scovdal announce that he's going to step down as manager at the end of that season or earlier if a replacement can be found. There's a 1 1 draw with, with Kilmarnock at home um, just a couple of games later, though, sees Eb depart there and then. Gardner Spears takes charge for a, a draw at home to Motherwell. But for you, and I guess like for a lot of the young lads in the dressing room as well, what's the reaction like to Eb deciding he was going to step down or then being dismissed? Especially because he's the guy that's given you guys your first team debuts.
3: Yeah, I think it's almost you, you can maybe sense it was coming. I suppose I think if you're if you're realistic, I think that there was. Um, I don't think it was an instant thing. I think there'd been talk of it for a, for a, a, quite a while. Um, you know, there's like you say, the results weren't going the way they should have been. Um, performances weren't good. Um, and I think I think players would have been the first to admit that. Um, I think we were all aware. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when when someone's giving you your debut, you know, just personally, it is difficult. But at the same time, it then becomes yeah, it's it's a nervous time. Um, you know, you you don't know who's coming in next. Will they like me? You know, um, how, what changes will they make? And yeah, you just you just have to you have to remain focused. But with having Gardner still about the club, who had been with, who had taken you know the youth team under the under twenty one seat. He knew us all well, so I think we were we still felt, you know, comfortable enough to to go out there and keep and keep performing.
0: Steve Patterson and Duncan Shearer are the guys appointed to take charge of the club. It's, it's fair to say they're kind of tasked with attempting to drastically reduce some of the costs on the playing side of the, of the club. But for you, again, just on a personal level, what were your kind of initial impressions of the new management team, and, and did they give you indications to begin with that you were very much in their thoughts, or? Is it more a case of everyone starts with a clean slate and we, we see where we go?
3: Um yeah, I think I think um we were obviously aware of of
0: how Steve Patterson had,
3: you know, grown Inverness as a club um and the success he'd enjoyed. So we all we all knew, and obviously with Duncan being a, an Aberdeen legend anyway, um, you know, it was you've got people in there coming in that are familiar. Mm-hmm. Um so it wasn't, you know, and they know the Scottish game. Um so and and I had that sort of Steve Patterson being an Elgin City player growing up and I remember watching him for Elgin. Of course, um, yeah. So uh yeah, as a young player. So it was I was kind of quite excited um, when he when they arrived. Um and they didn't complicate anything. Um sort of sort of went back to basics, I would say. mean, um, it, it's he did like to play attacking football and I think that's what he tried to install um, straight away. Um, I think that's what he'd enjoyed with Inverness. Um, And he he tried to bring that and and just sort of simplify things a wee bit. Training, you know, uh, just training the way we went about things. Um, It was, yeah, it was... um, And then, you know, he he started looking, bringing in players that he knew from playing in the lower leagues. Yeah. uh, With, you know, Inverness. So that that was his, you know, players that he could you know, could do a job.
0: And you come back into side in their first game, you come off the bench the final 10 minutes, uh, it's a 3-0 defeat away at Dunferlund. But from that point, you're a pretty regular starter for the new management team. And by the end of the campaign, things have settled. We've kind of been hauled up the league, finishing eighth spot. I think, though, with a points tally, it would have meant we finished in sixth.
3: No, I th- I think, I'm sure there was a, when they first came in, did we not win four out of the five points bottom six matches and I I think think it was something crazy where we ended up with more points than the team in fifth that's right yeah there was it was madness when so you know if you're looking at the league it just looked crazy uh the league table but we we I remember we we just really enjoyed (laughs) well you shouldn't be in the bottom you know you shouldn't be in the bottom six but that's where we were but we we won four I think we won four out of the five matches and we, we were actually, we played really well in that last spell of that season.
0: Yeah, no, I think I remember that as well. And it it was that moment where you go, okay, there's like some confidence building and bring that into the next season. You kind of see where you go. Um, one thing we have to ask about, um, 15th of March, and the, the reason I'm asking it, Chris, is because actually you're the only guy we've spoken to so far who was in and around the squad at this time. So um, 15th of March, 2003, it's a home match against Dundee. And... Steve's missing in action. Now, the official line at the time to the fans, et cetera, was that he was unwell and uh, Big Duncan Shearer had to take sole charge of the game that day. Were the players aware on the day of the actual circumstances and what was that like to deal with? Um, well, yeah, we were aware. It was, you
3: know, it was, um, there, there, we knew that there'd been a, a function on um, in the town... Or at the beach ballroom, I think it was. I think
0: it was the beach ballroom. And I think, yeah,
3: yeah it was an official function because yeah. I, I think I think uh, Russell was out there because he was injured at the time, as and representing the club as the captain. Yeah. So, um, and um, yeah, they were they were there. So, but we it was the usual turn up, um, arrived for the game half past one, and just remember us sitting in the in the dressing room, and you know normally a manager would come in about. Twenty to two, right? Here's today's team. If that's how they approached it, or if the team had already been named, you know, just have a, a few words. And um, we're sitting there, and no one's in. It's quarter to two. We gets to ten to two. It's two o'clock. You know, you're you're to kick off for an hour, uh, and we're hearing whispers that the manager's not here. And then we, you know we know that there's been a, a function on, and yeah, we just. Everyone had their own stories, I suppose, but um, yeah, it's it's, it was. I think we knew, and and Duncan came in with Osher Williams, and he says, "Oh, the man just got, man just got a stomach bug," so, and he just went out again, and we're all sitting there, right, okay, but I don't think I don't think the team had been named, so we're sitting there, and we're still like, and then he came in. I remember Duncan came in, and I don't know what. What was going on? But the members come in and it was, it was getting to quarter past two. And i like, "What oh, he's waiting?" He's, Duncan was, oh, "What are you waiting on? Get stripped." And it was kind of, I think, I'm sure the, the team must have been named or I can't remember how exactly, but I just remember saying it was really. I think by the time we got out, it was twenty five past half past, and it was just we kind of knew. But once you go out to do your warm up, yeah. you're you're going out to you're preparing for the match. You know, you're, and then I think. Everything that went around that following the match. Can't I can't remember the score. Maybe three three, uh, I think. Oh right, okay. I think it was a three-three draw. Three it was a thriller. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then I think it was just everything that, that that followed that. Um and you know, obviously um the manager's problems were and, and he spoke about them himself. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, everyone was aware of what had happened. But um, yeah, it was just a strange one, you know. When you're sitting there waiting in the dressing room to, to play a Premier League match, and then you're kind of holding on, holding on.
0: Um, on that, I mean, I'm interested about this, the dynamic in the in the dressing room. When that type of thing happens, does the manager lose a bit of authority, a bit of like respect in the dressing room to an extent with an incident like that? Um, I, I, I don't think so, because I don't think when you've got someone like Duncan Shearer and Osher Williams.
3: Who are who were with them and who are good guys, like really, really sort of. They, you know, they were all with us. Yeah. So it wasn't like you know where we're going through a bad spell and we're, and and you know they're. I can't remember. It's not like there was a bad atmosphere at the time. It was just something that had happened, and I can't really remember being anything after that. It was just obviously the manager, you know, came out and spoke about his his mm-hmm. his issues, um, and that's for I suppose that's for him to to deal with and, and for people to to give him support. Um, you know, everyone needs some support at times and um I think it was just one of those things. Um I think it was just the timing, um yeah. which which didn't help. And um yeah, I think like I said, but I think that there's so much respect for Osher Williams and, and Duncan Shearer
0: then we have sort of carried on as as normal. Absolutely. So the next season, the two thousand three, two thousand four one, it's a it's not a great one across the board. Livingston, again, um, knocking us out of both cups. We eventually finished, I think, second bottom of the league. We only win nine games, I think, all season. Um, as you all depart for the summer, and I think we spoke to... It was Marcus. Marcus Aikkonen said this to us, that mm-hmm. you, know, you all depart for the summer and you're all expecting that Steve and Duncan are going to be there on your return. I think you'd all been given like your programmes and everything for the for the summer from these guys. But instead, Willie Miller is appointed as director of football, and his first move is to dismiss the management team. Where were you? Can you remember where you were when you heard the news, and what was your reaction when you heard it was going to be the two Jimmies that were coming in? I can't.
3: I I, I can't remember where it was. Um, but I, I was. There was a there was a bit of sadness because I, I'd actually enjoyed playing for for Steve Patterson because you know again i, I enjoyed playing for heavy, you know you enjoyed playing so as long yeah. as you're playing you're happy but um and he, you know he, he was he was select and you're playing and i liked working with Duncan and uh and osher and osher lives close by to me and he's you know such a he's a gentleman um so you could go to him for anything um so it, there was a bit of sadness when they when they did leave but it wasn't a surprise. Just yeah. purely when you say winning nine nine games is not is, uh, nowhere near good enough. It's uh, well, it's a disaster to be honest. But um, yeah, it wasn't a surprise. I can't remember. I can't remember where we were. Uh, probably on holiday somewhere. But I think I was. I remember being excited about how well obviously Dunfermline her, were uh, were excellent at that time. Yeah. Um, Derek and Darren Young were playing there. Who I spoke to you know, often and they had left Aberdeen to go there to play for Jimmy and, uh, and uh, yeah, they spoke very highly of them. So it, to come back
0: for pre-season, uh, it, was ex- it was exciting. Your initial impressions of the of the two of them, plus Sandy Clark, actually, to be fair, when you turn up for first session of pre-season. I mean, your your initial impression, which isn't, crikey, what a tan that man's got.
3: Yeah, it was, um, it was,
0: <laughs> yeah, it was... <laughs>
3: <laughs> it was just that the first one he walked in, and it's, you know, obviously, we had a black training kit, and he came in, and you know, it was just it doesn't help when there was a whiteboard right behind him, Aye. so that didn't help him either. Um, but it was an interesting, it was a color I hadn't really seen before. Um, so but and you know, it was uh, when the two then came in, then Jamie comes in, you know, white as can be, so uh, with stand the 2 of them stand there, but they were. It just created a, it was a, it was a good atmosphere just initially you know straight away well you know straight away it was a good atmosphere um created there was a, a real structure to the preseason um uh, that was all in place um and you know we're straight into it and it was hard work it was a, it was it was hard
0: um but very enjoyable straight away you're pretty much one of the first names on the team sheet as Zabdean got off to have a really good start to the campaign, only one defeat in the opening 10 league games, which included uh, an impressive 3-2 win at Celtic to make it back-to-back wins at Celtic Park, obviously. Uh, the two Jimmys had also recruited well in that close season. Not a lot of guys, but they recruited guys well, including the likes of Scott Severin. And you've kind of just touched on it as well, Though, Was there a real change in philosophy as well from the managers?
3: Yeah, that's... That... I've often, you know, people have often asked you, know, you, you, you've played under so many managers throughout your career. You know, who've you enjoyed playing for the most, or what was it? And and I've always said, Jimmy straight away. Um, it was, it was the way that we prepared for. It was the way that the way that we approached pre season. It was the way that we approached the season. Um, you know, we there was something that we used to do in pre season. We would, we would often take us to Holland for and for matches, and. There, were, there was always one evening we would do it at the start of every season where we'd hand would hand out, the, here's the fixtures, and they would ask us to predict how many points we would generate throughout the season. And I remember us the first time we, we did do that, and I can remember us we would signed Scott Severin, mm. and I can't remember who else came in, but I remember us just looking around. And when you're looking at the sheet and you think, right, Aberdeen v. Motherwell, Aberdeen v. St. John's, and you know, and you think, right? We'll beat them. We'll beat them. We'll beat them. And and it's very hard to not go through that. And you know, I think Michael Hart had us winning the league by about <laughs> thirty points, and and the Champions League. So <laughs> it, it just it was. But that's the that was the I think the squad that we had. We looked around, and and if you you fancied to be anyone, you fancied to take points off Rangers and Celtic. Yeah. Um. But you knew you were playing against good Hearts and Hibs sides as well. So. You had to be realistic, but I think they were just wanting to see what our ambitions were and mm-hmm. the, the mentality of the squad. So um, it was all it was always it was a bit of, it was fun it was uh, it was interesting but <laughs> yeah I, I enjoyed doing that. But it was just something that they liked to do. Yeah, um, and and like I said, he'd obviously played and managed in Holland, and and uh, I think that's why he liked just take us across there um, and a challenge of playing against different formations and, and setting up in different ways and it worked for us um the way we we, we approached matches throughout the week our, our week uh was always the same uh, okay. in terms of the, the the training schedule and the way that we set up and prepared for that a match day started on a thursday and we've never i've never experienced it but we we'd we would maybe have three formations for a saturday ready now i i, I remember some fans being very very frustrated um, at the time. I couldn't work out what we were playing or what we are doing. But I remember saying, right, you know, say, for example, Hart, right, they're playing a, they're playing this formation. We'll do this. If this guy plays, we're going to do this. And we would go through that on a Thursday. So they believed so much in the squad that we had that we would change our way of playing mm-hmm. to match up because he believed in us in, a, in 1v1 situations. So. We were very prepared, and and even and and then when it came to Saturday, with the other team looking at the other team as a t- to kicking off and try and work out the formation, and we would change within five minutes our formation. So people found it frustrating, but we knew what we were doing. I thought it was very clever, and he and he and he was believing in his players.
0: Jimmy's tombola, as I think we used to refer to it back <laughs> in the stands, just like who knows what he's way to pull out the hat this time. Um... Yeah, we had us we had a group of players that would there was
3: maybe eight players, seven, eight players that would continue to play. Yeah. Which doesn't always happen now with larger squads and, you know, you hear about squad rotation and everything, but I think to maintain consistency, but I think he just believed so much in the players that we had that he fancied us against most teams.
0: And that's going to have a positive impact on the players as well when you see a manager who's got that belief in you, that it's not just as rigid. We just play four two three one every week because that's where I think you can play.
3: Yep, yeah, absolutely. I mean, how many? Well, how many? You know, you'd see Seve playing centre midfield one week, then sweeper at the next. Yeah, you know, we had to have players. man market. I was often put on man-marking roles. Um, and then I'd be playing left, left wing back, left wing, and I was often. Yeah, we were often asked to play different positions.
0: I I even remember. I think we played Rangers at Petardry. I'm trying to think what what game it was, but we played them. They had Thomas Bufell, I think, playing in centre midfield them. And I think I'm certain Richard Foster just followed Bufell around for 90 minutes. Yeah. I, yeah. He, he barely touched the ball all game, Foster or Buffel for that matter, because Foster just followed him around the, the pitch for 90 minutes and really nullified the the threat because Bufell was playing well, I think, round up into that fixture. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those games where you actually, as a fan, because we used to sit up the, at that point, we were sitting top deck of the Richard Donald. So from a mm-hmm. From a, being able to see everything that's going on a pitch perspective was brilliant, and or for for tactical geeks like me, it was brilliant to watch. And it was just it was one of the first times I think I've ever really properly seen a proper one on one man on man situation for ninety minutes.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I said I if I was asked to, I was often if, if I was maybe in the midfield with Sevi, and I would be the one marking Stelian Petroff, who used to bomb forward for Celtic, or Paul Hartley for Hart. I I was often because I could sort of box the box or um so and and you know you've got to have a lot of discipline about you um on the pitch and what many of us were asked to do kind of um different roles um and and just to 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 help the team um and I think it's something that I I get frustrated when I watch matches and I I, I don't see it happen enough mm-hmm. I, I really you know you get frustrated when you see someone running a game and it's just don't allow it to happen, you know? And it, it worked for us at times. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, but it was an enjoyable time to play, you know, when you're when you're preparing for matches like that and, you, you know, you know that the manager's well-prepared.
0: Um, yeah, it was, it was always... It was good fun at the same time, you know? The team as well, like the squad, must take a lot of confidence and belief as well when guys like Scott Severin sign for the club. Because, you know, we'd, we'd finished ninth this season before... I think Hearts has finished third the season before. Sevi was either club cap at Hearts or, or he was vice cap. I can't mind if Presley was still there at the time. He was out of contract for him to make the decision to move to Aberdeen when he could have stayed at Hearts or he could have gone probably down south at that point. Does that just give everybody a lift as well in the dressing This is a guy who who's made the decision to come here rather than doing something different.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, and it, and it was probably same with Barry Nicholson as well. Yeah. Uh, very similar. And then when Jamie Smith arrived and. Uh, and then he starts signing Steve Lovell, who's who's scoring goals for Sunday It was it was exciting to have a a team like that. That was just there was players you could tell they wanted to play for Aberdeen and be there. Um, so and it, and it fills you with it fills you with confidence when you're still playing in that team as well. And it's not like they're coming in to replace you; they're just coming to make the the, the squad you know so much yeah. stronger. Um, yeah, and, and and you know, and Aberdeen's. Bigger than hearts anyways Look, it's, Of
0: course you're going to come you know? Absolutely it's, it's a no-brainer really isn't it Let's be honest Yeah yeah. Um, that first season with Jimmy It's a much improved campaign Across the board We finished fourth We're only denied European football On goal difference um, by, by two goals from Hibs As it turns out For yourself It's 34 appearances In total A couple of goals but As you just touched on There's quite a recruitment drive The next summer uh, The likes of Jamie Smith Steve Lovell Jamie Langfield Barry Nicholson All join just for you are you is there any point there where you're like shit like well, these boys are coming in and is this gonna threaten my place in the team or is it just like this gives me even more drive to to keep my place and to show i'm i'm part of this football club yeah thank you i think you have to approach it like that i mean uh, i was yeah
3: i, like I say i was always training you can't let it affect you and i think good players want to play with good players yeah. that's something that's often said in football and when you see those guys come in, it's quite, it's exciting, but you know, there's going to be, there's going to be pressure. We had a strong squad. um It wasn't just, you know, it wasn't 11, 12, 30 player, we had a strong squad. So it was, I was saying it was very exciting and knowing that we could we adapt to we were are flexible with our formations. You knew that there was always, if you weren't playing one week, then you, you could be back in very soon. um And I said, depending on, on what the other, other teams were doing. Um, and, yeah, I said the manager often said that to us. That we, we believe in you, and often said. I, I can remember one of the, the the best things that that Jimmy once said to us. I think we were at Hibs away. And I think they they were doing well. I think we were maybe third and fourth at the time, and it was a good Hibs team as well. But Jimmy actually said to us, addressing, I wouldn't have one of their players right now, and just that simple line. Yeah was was really but you believed it you know uh, you know there there might have been one or two they would but just it fills you with so much confidence when you hear that from your manager when hibs were so close to us at the time um, it was nice to hear
0: and so that wraps up this week's episode of the abz football podcast thanks for joining us please remember to like subscribe follow or whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 60. 60 is ridiculous. Are we at retirement age yet? Um, I think when are in, well, in Craig Brown terms. We've still got a long way to go. Craig Brown was uh, sitting in front of me uh, yesterday. He's looking very well for his age. Let's put it that way. Um, How many folks were accompanying him? <laughs> was he
1: batting <laughs> below average? <laughs> As I oh, believe was once
0: a phrase once coined about our Craig... Uh, indeed indeed um, I couldn't
2: possibly comment on any of those fronts he was being thoroughly professional in his uh, club capacity is what he was doing absolutely anyway and God, um, who's this wanker in the olive breaks behind me <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, they were cream um, anyway
0: next week episode 68 we'll review our fixtures with and Athletic and Ross County, and then we'll turn our attention to the very first visit of the campaign to Petology by SEVCO 5088 Limited. We'll also bring you part two of our chat with Chris Clark, which I think, Gav, means there's a natural point in which to potentially break the Chris Clark interview. Could very well be. I think so. I think that makes sense. Anyway, we'll look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Toddry Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!